Oklahoma's 49-31 win over Houston on Sunday night was not lacking in intrigue. On both sides of the ball, the Sooners have legitimate questions entering this season, and the opener certainly provided clarity on a lot of those questions. We'll start with the obvious big winner of the night, and that's the Oklahoma offense led by Jalen Hurts. Now, how exactly would Hurts look in his first start since the 2017 national title game? Would the game manager style Alabama asked of him translate to Lincoln Riley's much more quarterback-friendly system? Well, Jalen Hurts was spectacular. He looked confident, decisive with the ball, accurate for the most part, with the exception of a few hiccups, and perhaps most important of all, he looks downright dominant and explosive running the ball. I thought the most exciting element of the Jalen Hurts acquisition was his potential to be a devastating force on the ground in the Big 12. It's only one game, but it appears Lincoln Riley had the same thought. We saw a ton of unique running options and looks for Hurts. This will be a huge part of the offense going forward this season. And the rest of the offense largely looked great. The amount of options this offense has is absurd. CeeDee Lamb only had two touches in this game on Sunday night, and they still put up nearly 700 yards. The offensive line showed some glitches at times, as expected, but they were very clearly more talented up front and won a vast majority of their battles all night. This offense is well on its way to being the best in college football for the fourth consecutive season. Lincoln Riley seemingly has done it again. However, Will Alex Grinch's defense be a worthy complement to OU's offense this season? That's certainly the question coming into this season. Well, based on the opener, I think we can say the potential is certainly there for that to be the case. From the opening whistle, OU's energy and engagement on defense was something we just haven't seen in a while. They just looked different. Players were decisive, they were quick, and they were really fired up. OU overwhelmed Houston in the first quarter and a half with quickness on the defensive front, as well as late shifts that really confused quarterback De'Eric King. Now, once Houston figured out what OU was doing, they were able to counter their tendencies with run plays designed to take advantage of OU's aggressiveness. The result was quite a bit of rushing yards, mostly in the second half, which is something the coaching staff is going to want to get cleaned up going forward. But it's hard not to be a tad excited of the potential they flashed. Virtually everyone on the defensive front was consistently winning their battles. King was under constant harassment the entirety of the game, even when Houston started picking up chunk plays. He'll need to prove it more than just the first few games of the season, but Kenneth Murray looked awesome for the most part. He certainly made a handful of Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year caliber plays, and his sideline-to-sideline speed really flashed a few times. It was overwhelming at times. But lastly, I want to praise the cornerbacks. There's still some glitches to work out with the ball in the air, but Houston really couldn't get anything going through the air in this game. King routinely had to look away from his first read because they were covered. OU was 129th in the country last season in pass defense. On Sunday night, they held one of the best, most experienced passing offenses in the country to 167 yards at 6.2 yards per pass. Relative to the last time we saw this defense, that's freaking amazing. Now look, this game was definitely sloppy at times, and there's going to be plenty of stuff to iron out in subsequent weeks. They probably should have won this game by close to 40 and not 18. 
However, I think this team flashed the potential of a ceiling that we haven't seen in a long time in Norman. It's a good first start, but there's still plenty of work left to do. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Plenty of time, a quick slant, and a completion. Charleston Rambo! Rambo! Lunging for the goal line! Touchdown, Oklahoma! That's a touchdown in two consecutive games for Charleston Rambo. He takes a slant pass 56 yards of the house, one of three touchdown passes for Jalen Hurts in his record-breaking OU debut. Sooners beat Houston 49-31 Sunday night. And we're going to talk all about it here on West of Everest. Welcome into to another edition of the show. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top with his opening take. Tons of OU Houston talk today, plus some post-game sound bites from Alex Grinch, Kenneth Murray, and Jalen Hurts. We'll also answer some listener questions as well during the show, so pretty packed today. Plus, at the end, we'll talk about the first full week of college football around the nation. So stay tuned for that if you want to hear our overall thoughts about week one. Real quick, feel free to like the West of Everest Facebook page. That's a great place to interact with us and follow along with the show. Also, you can email us, westofeverest at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And if you'd like to leave a rating and or a review on iTunes, we invite you to do that as well. Time now to bring back in Grant. We saw a wonderful debut from Jalen Hurts. I know you talked about him in your opening take a little bit. I believe it was the most total yards by a quarterback or by anybody really in OU, uh, the OU debut for a player in history. Uh, that does that make sense? Yeah, I, uh, I think you get it. Uh, but I'm not all that surprised by the way he played. So the question I have to start the show for you is: Are we jaded when it comes to quarterback play at Oklahoma? Yes. To answer your question directly, absolutely. While watching the game, it didn't really seem like Jalen Hurts was having a game that was all that out of the ordinary for an OU quarterback. Isn't that crazy? Exactly. Exactly. And here's the thing. I was at the game. I was down on the sidelines. That's my job when it comes to OU games for News 9 in Oklahoma City. I get to go on the sidelines and shoot the games. The road games, I don't always get to go to. But the home games, I'm at every one of them. And so I was on the sidelines shooting low angle. So I have an idea of what's going on down there. But I don't get the full kind of grasp of everything until I go back and watch it on TV later on and that's why we're recording so late here on Monday on Labor Day because both of us went back and watched I didn't get home last night until about 3 a.m. and I watched part of the game at work and then I watched the rest of it this morning anyways point being I was looking on Twitter kind of during the game cell service kind of spotty at Owen Field here and there and a lot of these tweets coming in about how great of a game Jalen Hurts was having statistically, efficiency-wise. And yeah, I know that he had scored touchdowns and was playing well, but on the field level, yeah, the same, the same uh, thought you just had is I kind of thought, well, this is kind of what you expect from Oklahoma quarterback. I know he's a good player. I figured he'd do well in Lincoln Riley's offense. You look at the stats so at the end of the game, it's like, wow, those are really good numbers. But for whatever reason, on the field, it, it came across as just kind of like, yeah, that's a good game but it didn't seem like it was anything out of the ordinary or that special but upon watching back on tape it was a lot more impressive seeing it tv wise in a second viewing so yeah we are jaded we it's it's incredible how good Hertz played right away and he's he's already getting that offense down but he has a he has a ways to go though I think and he said that as much after the game 
I don't know if it was the same for you, Lee, when you rewatched it, but as I was watching it on TV, the most impressive aspect of his game, and I touched on this in the opening take, was just how fluid and how good he looked in the open field as a runner. He looked, he, he looked like it's... And, and it's not the same as like... I mean, Kyler Murray ran for 1,000 yards last year, and it was different than Kyler. It just... It just I, I feel like this offense can be tailored in a completely different way to suit his running style, and I... I, I think he's a better runner than Kyler was. Would you agree? They're different. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think Kyler's I more though, ex- he's Kyler's more explosive because he's quicker and faster. But Hurts just Hurts honestly just he looked very comfortable running, especially between the tackles. Well, that's his game. I mean, I was looking back at the opening take following the Florida Atlantic game last year and Kyler Murray's debut, just because I was curious what I was saying after that game. And I was reading it. And remember going into that game, I thought was, I want to see Kyler Murray play within the structure of the play within the pocket and not be somebody that looks to run if there's nothing there. I want him to be able to look downfield, complete passes. And that's what he did in that game. He only had one play where it was actually designed as a running play. And Kyler only played in 30 snaps against FAU before he was benched before halftime. You go to Jalen Hurts, though. His game grant, as we knew this coming in, he wants to run the football. He's not going to be Kyler Murray where he sits back there and goes through all of his progressions and keeps his eyes down the field and really wants to pull the trigger. We saw, I think, multiple times that if it wasn't there right away and there was a bit of an opening or a bit of a crease, he wanted to pull the ball down and run, and the numbers showed he had 16 carries for 176 yards. He's going to steal a lot of yards this year, I think, from Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, and we saw that in game one. Yeah, and, right. and I don't know. I, I would like to go back and rewatch again. I thought he actually did a pretty good job at times of of reading and going through his progressions. I thought he did a, a pretty decent job at times of looking off linebackers and safeties, which is something that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray really great at. So that's telling me that's probably something that Lincoln Riley really emphasizes when he's teaching the game in the quarterback room. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought he looks really good. I, I just I don't think there's any way that that game could have gone better in, in, in Jalen Hurts' respect. I mean, he was great. He was really good. Now, it's one game. You don't want to overreact. Houston's defense is not good. It isn't at all, um, which makes it even better that they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Almost 700 yards. They almost broke the single-game record for yards per play. And yet they only scored 49 points, so they turned it over twice, and they didn't cover, much to my chagrin. Exactly. So and, of course, for all, the, yeah, and for all the good things we're saying about the game, Um, there was a lot of slop for sure. It was a sloppy game, which is why I think a lot of us aren't fully saying this is, you know, without reservation, this was a success and a great game. There was, there were some things that the offense can certainly still clean up. Um, but I, you got to think Jalen Hurts is only going to improve as the season goes on, the more time he spends in this offense. All right, let's table Jalen Hurts in the offense for now because actually we want to start with what most people want to talk about, and that's the Oklahoma defense. First game under Alex Grinch and Grant, man. It started out perfect. I texted you, and I don't even know if you got it because, again, the cell signal is spotty at Owen Field sometimes. But the way the game began with a three and out and then three plays and a touchdown, Oklahoma, both sides of the football starting off fast. I texted you like that's – about as perfect as you can start a game, and that's something that you would see a team like Clemson or Alabama do, and very rarely against a a team like Houston that you've heard of that has some firepower. 
do you see Oklahoma do that in the last three or four years? So that was pretty exciting. Before I let you comment, I do want to play a quick soundbite from Kenneth Murray. Let me go ahead and see if I can pull it up here. Kenneth Murray, as we talk about the defense, here's kind of his brief assessment of how the defense played in the first game under Alex Grinch. Tonight was a, was a pretty good start. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't great, but we definitely got a lot of things to work on, a lot of things to improve on. But, um, you know, I'm proud to have a win. I'm proud to, you know, have won tonight. But, um, you know, we just got to continue to get better. That's a pretty fair assessment, I think, from Kenneth Murray. A pretty good start, but still a long ways to go. Grant, your initial thoughts on the Oklahoma defense before we start breaking down, you know, level by level and, and not play by play, but basically kind of everything that happened in the game. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's correct. That basically what Kenneth Murray said, that's a great way to to reduce their performance. Pretty good start, but there's still quite a bit of things to iron out. And so we're going to talk about the first four drives where they forced four straight punts. That's kind of what everyone has been envisioning when we think of complementary football. It's not always going to happen the very first four drives of the game. That certainly helps, but that's exactly what everyone has been thinking. Overwhelm people with athleticism and aggressiveness. And this is what can happen. It takes an opponent every now, every now and then. It takes an opponent a while to adjust to it. And sometimes when you punch him in the mouth like this, uh, this is what happens. And I don't know. After the, after the Sooners were up 21 to nothing, Lee, this game was over. I mean, it was pretty much over. So this is what a lot of the times they talked about with complimentary football. You punch him in the mouth like that. You allow the offense to separate. And that's it. It's over. And so, and just think what would have happened if OU wouldn't have missed field goals or wouldn't have been as sloppy at times in the first half as well. So, uh, what is there to be said about the defense in the first four drives other than they were spectacular? They were great. Uh, everything that we had been promised from Alex Grinch came to fruition. There were shifts up front that were really confusing Houston. There was speed in the front six slash front seven. Uh, the defensive line was consistently winning up front every single play. You got a lot of penetration into the backfield. Pretty much everything that we've wanted to see. You didn't see confusion. You saw guys lining up. It seemed like everyone knew exactly where they were supposed to be. Uh, you saw disciplined football as well. You saw people swarming. You didn't see a lot of missed tackles. They looked really good, those first four drives. Yeah. And then after, you know, after the first four drives, it became more smatterings of looking good. It wasn't necessarily as, as consistent. But Houston really struggled with OU's athleticism and quickness up front, like really struggled with it. OU's first four drives on defense only allowed one first down. Three of the four drives were three and outs. And it was Derek King punts. making a play with his, with his legs too, the, the one first down that they made. And that was a situation where I can't remember who it was, but somebody broke contain and he had the edge and, and he made it work. I think it might have been John Michael Terry playing that rush linebacker spot. But then after that happened, Oklahoma went ahead and made a play and, and got him off the field quickly. So, yeah, then after those first four, I think you're right. I mean, it kind of was hit and miss going forward. Let's uh, since we talked about this so much leading up to it, we didn't get a show before the or after the depth chart came out. Let's just go over who started. So. On defense, we start, we, the starters out there, again, not again, but as you all noticed, Alex Grinch and the Oklahoma defense, they played a ton of guys Sunday night, a ton of guys. But here's who started. It was Ronnie Perkins at end. He had Neville Gallimore at the nose guard position. He had Laurent Stokes at D-tackle and John Michael Terry playing the rush linebacker spot. He had Deshaun White out there at Will. He had Kenneth Murray at Mike. And then the secondary is about what we thought. We had Parnell Motley and Trey Brown at corner. 
Pat Fields and DTY playing safety. And I was wrong about Chance Sylvie. It ended up being Brendan Radley-Hiles starting at nickel for the Sooners. And it was Radley-Hiles most of the game playing that nickel spot. So it would seem that he has the upper hand over Chance Sylvie right now. He had now. a good so game, I too. I thought he, he played well. He didn't uh, – He nothing really stood out to me, which means that he – it's probably fine. Uh, he did look small at times. He did seem like he, he did. tried to tackle yep. high a couple times, which is still not good. But I did like the the smattering of times where they get uh, where Alex Grinch plays his defensive backs and man coverage, and you see that's where his strength is. You saw him playing press man a couple times in that nickel spot, and he was never challenged. There that's was what never I a ball he thrown was, his way. He he was erasing his guy in the slot whenever he was tasked to play man coverage. That's mm-hmm. exactly what I specifically want out of my nickelback, which is why I wanted Buki there. Well, and that's a great spot for it. It's just whenever teams start to run the ball more and he's playing near the line of scrimmage, it's just it's very hit and miss with that. It's very inconsistent. Although he did he did make he did make a nice tackle for uh for no gain at the line of scrimmage too when he was asked to put his uh to put his hat in there so at least i, think I, I can think of one in the game i think he might have yeah. might, might have like a half tackle or something like there assisted tackle but I, I didn't know what you're talking about yeah I, he was up down up up there but there was a couple where he kind of got shred uh, shedded a little bit too and he had his but his teammates were there i mean they were rallying to the football for the most part and that's part of what you talked about the start we we saw the speed d the aggression and before I forget about this, and this is kind of in my mind, and this is something that Alex Grinch has said over and over and over again, is that, yeah, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be big plays given up because the other team practices and has scholarship players too. But he wants those mistakes to be made going fast and aggressive. And you know what? That's okay. Because that I can't remember exactly his reasoning behind it, but we weren't seeing confused mistakes of like oh where do I line up where am I supposed to be it was just maybe over pursued or they read their keys and they went and maybe there was a nice play call where there was a screen pass things like that there there wasn't any sort of like dumb kind of not sure where to be mistakes aside from some a a dumb penalty here and there from a couple of uh defensive backs so we can talk about that moving forward as well yeah you know yeah, I, I was going to say, and you mentioned too, uh, it seems like pretty much a vast majority, especially of their passing yardage, came exactly on that. Screen plays where they caught OU being a little too aggressive at times. Because um, other than that, Lee, can you really think of any passes that they completed downfield? I, I can't. Everything was behind the line of scrimmage. Mm, no, I... Which is, why, which is yeah. why I wanted to single out the corners, Lee, because the corners... For the most part, and we talked about this talented Houston receiving core coming in, the corners, for the, for the most part, completely erased their outside receivers. They didn't have much at all. The corners were, they were fine. It, I, they didn't stand out to me as much because I don't think Houston was trying to really attack down the field when they realized that, oh, they we can, can they go couldn't. ahead and throw these quick. Well, it, Oklahoma was giving them these quick quick passes, screen passes, because there was a lot of the times when they weren't playing man that there was a lot of space and a lot of cushion in the slot and in two-by-two and three-by-one sets that I'm not so sure about. And Dana Holgerson recognized that, and then you saw all those quick passes to Marquez Stevenson, and it asked and tasked defensive backs to come up and make a one-on-one tackle, which is troubling even to this day, even though the tackling has been better, was better. And so Houston just took what the defense gave them, and that's when they started to move the chains and get yardage and, and 
things like that. So I don't even think they really wanted to test them downfield. Maybe it's because they, the defensive line was getting so much pressure they knew they didn't have, didn't have time to do that. That's, That's that certainly was factored the reason in why. as well. I, I, th- I think you can take the first four drives of Houston as an example that they kind of had to scrap what they wanted to do coming in because they just couldn't protect De'Ara King. I mean, the, the, the pocket was collapsing in on him in a second every single time. Like they, uh, Oklahoma's defensive front dominated this game. Like, don't, don't, like, you know, don't think otherwise. I mean, they, they played really well for the most part. All right, so let's talk about the defensive line. We'll get back. I mean, we're going to talk about Kenneth Murray a little bit as well because he had a nice game. So the defensive line, they rotated a lot of players up front. We talked about who started at the – on the line uh, the, up front, you know, it was Perkins, Gallimore, Stokes. But then we saw a smattering coming in. We saw uh, Marquez Overton coming in at nose guard for Neville Gallimore. Of course, we saw Jalen Redmond coming in and spelling Laron Stokes. We even saw Marcus Stripling coming in and spelling Ronnie Perkins at times. So there was a lot of rotation on the defensive line. And it seemed like everybody kind of had their flashes. And Neville Gallimore was busting through and taking on multiple blockers I saw that Jalen Redmond one of his first times in there and it was the play where De'Eric King was hit by Ronnie Perkins and fumbled and Redmond got there a second late too and Redmond was taking on like three guys Redmond actually the pile back into De'Eric King yeah Redmond actually forced the fumble on that yeah so that was one of his better plays of the night and hopefully there's a lot more exciting plays coming from him as as the year goes on yeah the defensive line was exciting it's kind of what we hoped it would be I know Lincoln Riley praised the defensive line he was excited about the the amount of times they were able to get penetration and get in the backfield sometimes it kind of burned them because it seemed like they would get in the backfield and then De'Eric King or the running back would kind of slip away and they was they'd over pursue yeah so that's something to kind of work on and there uh, were times too and this and this popped up this has popped up a lot the last handful of years too where it seems like they got a guy in the backfield and they just kind of let him escape. They 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 just lose grasp of them. That happened I mean quite a bit in this game. There there were times I'm trying to think the actually um I believe Houston's first first drive where they scored a touchdown on third and one, Stripling and Kenneth Murray had Derek King just yep. dead to rights in the backfield, probably for a loss of three or four. And King just with like one little cut was able to sort of juke Stripling out of his shoes, and then and then Murray, of course, was kind of cut, caught flat-footed as well, and he escaped. And then, of course, two plays later is when Trey Brown missed the open field tackle and they scored. Um, but just stuff like that, if they can clean that up, and that's stuff that they can improve on. And so one of my big takeaways, Lee, was... Um, and of course, like, you know, we remember they gave up over 400 yards. We remember that they weren't as stout in the second half. But at the same time, for the first time in a long time, I feel like I saw enough where I think they can improve as the year goes on. Like they're going to get better. And that's not something that I always felt when Mike Stoops was at the helm at all. Yeah, I think that too. And I think just to go back quickly to the De'Eric King play where he was able to slip through and get away. I mean, that was a, a really nice play by a really great quarterback too. I mean, I just, I can't really fault those guys for missing that because De'Eric King is really good and he came out a little shaky, a little uncomfortable, but he settled in, I think, very nicely and played pretty well overall. And I'm excited to see how many points and how well he does this year because he, you could, you could tell after the game, Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, I mean, they, they weren't like overly happy with the defense, but at the same time, they know that Derek King is 
pretty awesome. And that offense is really good. And they're pretty, I could I, I kind of read between the lines that they're like, yeah, but a lot of that, the reason why that they were able to make some plays is because De'Ara King is just so shifty and fast and slippery. And not every quarterback Oklahoma's going to face is going to be like that. So I, I took a little bit of that away from their postgame press conferences last night. Um, uh, how about this on the defensive line? Kind of the last thing, unless we have anything else on the D-line. I didn't see as much pre-snap movement as I thought I would. There wasn't that much. I was kind of trying to, to have a tally of it throughout the game, and I kind of I kind of stopped counting in the second half because in the second half, honestly, they didn't move a whole lot pre-snap that I saw. I only got up to four, four different times. It makes me wonder if it's something that they're going to be – putting in more as the year goes on for certain teams they didn't want to show too much right away or maybe it was something as simple as they had the obviously had tv and they didn't cut to the play quick enough to where after they cut to the play they had already moved and so i just missed it i don't know but it seemed like dana holgerson and houston kind of would wait and get to the line and try to show them something and see if oklahoma would shift and then they would kind of reassess kind of the straight-up call and place from the line thing a lot of teams like to do. And that kind of rendered their, I think, upfront movement pre-snap kind of useless. And I think that's why we didn't see a whole lot of it maybe moving forward in the game. What did you see or what did you think about that? Yeah, when it did happen, it, it seemed like it was pretty early in the play clock that they would shift a lot of the time. I didn't go back and count. But no, I, I, didn't, get the, I didn't get the sense that they were super aggressive in that respect. Um, they were fairly aggressive, aggressive and stunting and doing interesting things after the ball was snapped that I think really confused Houston at times. But no, the, the pre-snap movement I didn't see a ton of, although early in the, in, in the play clock, I, I, I saw it every now and then. A couple last notes just individually. Ronnie Perkins looked really good. Seven yeah, he tackles. was the best player, uh, I thought, on the defensive line on Sunday night for sure. Real smart, two tackles for loss, one sack. He did a good job of st- keeping contained, but also coming down the line of scrimmage and kind of picking his spots when he got aggressive in there. Uh, he looked really good, as as we hoped he would, uh, b- you know, building on a really good freshman season. As a team, Oklahoma had eight TFLs and three sacks. And without getting any turnovers, as we'll talk about here coming up, we'll talk about, uh, you know, obviously that's a huge thing. Uh, still, those are some good havoc numbers there. Eight, eight TFLs, three sacks, not bad. Pretty good. I'd like it to be better. It's they. It needs to be better. The, the three sacks uh, on Deere King, I'm okay with. That's fine. Um, but man, they they left a lot of tackles for loss on the field. I thought, and that that can get better. So, um, and that's what we're talking about. Being being you know, be being put in the right position as they were. It seems like a lot of the time last night, and it's just finishing those plays. And if they can start finishing those plays, it's obviously going to make the stat sheet and everything look a whole whole lot better. Um, but I do just want to single out Ronnie Perkins one more time. Um, I thought he was, I'm not going to say by far, but I thought he was the most impressive player on the defensive line on Sunday night. Um, I don't know, Lee, maybe we were wrong. Maybe he looks like he's going to be the, the benefactor of the new scheme change in terms of stats. Like I, he was very active and you got to think that it's, you know, his, his playing time is only going to be more entrenched as the year goes on. Cause I can't imagine they're going to, they're going to rotate as much as the year goes. Yeah. Yeah. He's certainly a beneficiary. I mean, Neville Gallimore is going to be, I, 
And we'll talk about this because we have a viewer, uh, viewer, a listener question kind of tailored to this coming up about De'Aaron King. I just think there's an asterisk next to this game because we're not going to see another quarterback similar to this until maybe kind of like Sam Ellinger, but that's still different because Ellinger is not as fast or slippery as De'Aaron King. He's just he's a more of like a bruising type runner that can move in the pocket. I, I think that really factored in a lot to why there wasn't as many TFLs or why maybe a guy like Gallimore wasn't able to really get as many hits on the quarterback because – he would bust up and blow up a play, but then King would kind of move in the pocket and shift and, and get away from him. So I, I think King, he is such a good player, and he settled into that game. I, again, I think that factors a lot into what, what we saw in the second half. Uh, so, and so I'm actually, yeah, I'm curious because they're going to have, uh, in two weeks they're playing against another pretty elusive guy, no, probably nowhere near as elusive as De'Aaron King, but they're going to be playing Dorian Thompson-Robinson in UCLA, and that's a UCLA team coming off not a particularly impressive performance offensively against Cincinnati. I think that's going to be a really good measuring stick game. We'll see if the OU defense can can be a little dominant in that game against an offense that you know has not looked very good up to this point. Uh, let's talk Kenneth Murray. He had 13 tackles, 2.5 TFLs, had a half a sack, got some sound to play from Kenneth and Kerry Murdoch from Sooner Scoop asked him, I can't remember the exact question. It was something along the lines of what do you want opposing teams to think of the defense and think of, think of Kenneth Murray with kind of when they watch back tape. And I kind of liked what Kenneth had to say. So here's Kenneth Murray on what he hopes that opposing teams see when they watch film of him. Straight dominant. I want the, I want the, the team, whoever we play next, I want them to watch the tape and be like, holy crap. When they see me on tape, no cap. So, I mean, pure dominant, you know, buckets caliber, um, you know, because that's the standard here at Oklahoma. I mean, you know, us in Alabama are the only two schools with, with four buckets award winners, so um, it's the standard here. So, um, you know, when, when they turn on that tape, I want to see somebody that's flying around, somebody that's physical, somebody's going to make plays. And so Kenneth Murray certainly looked like a candidate for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year sunday night he was flying around it was the most confident he's looked probably in a sooner uniform still there was a uh, one or two plays in pass coverage where i thought he looked a bit lost i'm not sure what his responsibility was there was one in the second half where it looked like maybe he was spying the quarterback but also he was trying to play zone so maybe that wasn't really on him uh, but for the most part kenneth murray looked the part on Sunday night, as we all could see. I mean, we all have two eyes. We all saw him, and, and he flew around. He made some great plays. He hogtied De'Aaron King a couple times, spied him a bit. I'm not sure how much he spied him because it's tough to, to, to tell whenever you don't know the actual defensive calls, but Kenneth Murray was, was really good, and if that's what we get from Kenneth Murray, and certainly he'll get better as the season goes on, hopefully, uh, that's great. That's great for Oklahoma in the middle, the middle of the field because they just haven't had that in consistent fashion the last two years and uh he's another one of these guys as that we hoped would benefit from the change and he's bought in and he's said that he's already you know everything's different and everything feels better and he looked really good grant so your thoughts on kenneth murray he looks great he looks really good i think physically that's the best i've ever seen him he really showcased his sideline to sideline speed at times and of course, it's that uh, it was that third down play where he where he tracked down Derek King and he kind of clotheslined him a little bit. That was a great play. That was a great great play. And I don't. I, that's not a play that we've seen Kenneth Murray make in his first two years here. Um, so I mean that that's obviously really uh, something to point at and be excited about. 
Um, I want to see him build off of this because he looked really good in the first two games last season. So I'm going to pump the brakes just a little bit until he's he's challenged more. But um, you know, at times it was hard. It was hard to remember that while watching that game last night, that Houston is maybe coming into this year one of the ten best offenses in college football. Yeah, I mean, they that's had, a good point. They had a lot of experience coming back, and you saw at times like when the receivers got into the open field, uh, the athleticism they had and the straight line speed they had. Of course, you saw that with Derek King. Um, Kenneth Murray, man, was running right with Derek King, and of course, that one where he tracked him down across the field and got him down on third down is one. But there was another one, Lee, where he he tracked King down from behind. I think this was in the second half on third down and he hit him as he was releasing the ball and he covered maybe like 50 yards on that play and ran down Derek King. Uh, physically speaking, that was the most imposing I've seen Kenneth Murray. And if he can build on this going forward, sky's the limit. Chances of him be actually being the Big 12 defensive player of the year, I'll start to buy in. He looked really good. There, of course, there were some times where there were some hiccups. Um, there were a couple plays where I thought he, ch- he chose the wrong gap to attack and, and he let Derek King off the hook. Um, but for the most part, looked really good. I- I'm-, I'm really excited to see if he's going to be able to build on that going forward. That was one of those games where obviously it was on national TV, only game of the night. So a lot of eyeballs on OU versus Houston and just the general college football fan or just football fan who watched that probably came away from that thing and like, man, Kenneth Murray might be one of the best linebackers in the nation. Just imagine if you haven't watched a whole lot of OU and you watch that game, you probably came away thinking that Kenneth Murray's pretty awesome. And he was. He was really good. But obviously we have the the we we've seen him play every single game of his career. And and we know that I mean that was one of the best games of his career. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it happens in the first game with a new defensive scheme. So yeah, I think you made a good point though. What's kind of pump the brakes slightly because he did have a good start to the twenty eighteen season. And then things kind of started to unravel a little bit more. So we'll see how much he improves. And uh, I don't have this soundbite, but he said this in his post game. He he's he was so excited. He wants to get back to work so quickly because he just he's so excited to watch the tape and just keep improving, keep improving. I mean, this guy's a a player that football is number one. You can tell. I mean, that's his his main thing. Like he just wants to keep going. I'm sure he wants to line up and play South Dakota after that game ended last night. So I. He's got the right attitude, and it was nice to see him play really well. And it's good for him because he's taken a lot of criticism the last two years. Uh, most of it, I think, valid criticism, and he hears it. He, he's very aware of it. It seems like every time he does a post game or he does any sort of interview, there's some sort of question asked about the criticism that he and the team has received, and, and he always answers it like, yeah, I mean, it's great. Like We, wanna, we use that as fuel, and, and we want to be better. And so it's nice to see him play that well because we all want him to succeed and we want the Oklahoma defense to succeed as well. All right. I think we got to move on to the secondary now and we're going to answer some listener questions because a lot of the listener questions we got are related to the secondary. And this one is from Facebook from Mark. And Mark says, I expected to be more impressed with the safeties. Seemed like Fields and DTY were two of the first guys Grinch was impressed by in the spring. How did you think they performed? All right, Grant, I'll let you feel this one first. What did you think about DTY and Pat Fields starting at safety? Outside of the three penalties I think they they had, um, I thought they were steady, and you didn't notice them a whole lot, and that's okay with me. 
Um, so I think last year and the last couple of years, the safety position has been kind of highlighted by busts and missed tackles. I didn't see a whole lot of that from Fields and DTY. In my opinion, they were exactly as advertised. They were steady and not spectacular. I agree with that. This is a tough game to really judge them as far as what they're going to see in the Big 12 because, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Houston was not really trying to stretch the field in this game. Either they just couldn't because they didn't have the, the ability to protect King to let those routes develop, or it was just not really part of their game plan. I would... I would think the former because early on they struggled so much. So, yeah, you didn't see them have to really do a whole lot. Yeah, the penalties were bad. Uh, the personal foul penalty on Pat Fields was just dumb. The, that was DTY. No, that was on Pat. The the one where he hit on the pass where Fields hit the Oh, okay. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking of the, yeah, the, body, personal the foul. stupid body slam. Yeah. Well, I think you got the flag for hitting the guy in the helmet. It was like the, the retaliation thing. So I, I guess they both had a personal foul penalty. But uh, I thought, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess both of them were dumb. I, I thought Fields was the easier one to avoid because there's no reason to do that. Uh, the P.I. against Fields, though, was a bad call. That, that, that was, was unca- that call. was That was blatantly uncatchable. Yeah, I, exactly. That needs, that, they need, uh, and that was on third down. I mean, that extended the drive. And I've noticed that, too. And th- this is going to be a sidebar just for college football as a whole. Uh, college football needs to, needs to make that a priority refs need to be watching for catchable balls I, I was I, down I, there yeah, yeah I, I've seen this so many times over the last handful of years and OU has been the beneficiary to this at times as well there's way too many pass interferences being called in this sport right now just way too many upside though I think was that the only PI on OU last night I think it was I don't recall any other ones yes and I believe it so. wasn't a good call and it I would have been uh, and fine then there with was, him. And then, of course, there was one on uh, when OU was on offense in the end zone that was blatant PI that they didn't call. So, um, uh, when Lamb went up for that, I don't think yeah. that was blatant. No, I yeah, think that was a absolutely. I think that blatant. was a no. I don't. I don't think so. I think the that safety was didn't know where the ball was and he impeded and he impeded Lamb's progress. Absolutely textbook pass interference. Nah, I don't think. I think that could have gone either way. He I, didn't I, know I where the ball was, and he impeded Lamb's progress. That's textbook. Nah, I I, I disagree with uh, that. I, Two I things thought can it was, be true at once. It was a bad throw, and the and the defensive back did not know where the ball was, and he stopped C.D. Lamb from catching it with his body. That's pass I thought interference. It was, I thought it was close enough with the ball getting there to contact where it wasn't that egregious to me. I didn't think that was that bad of a call. I just think uh, that's when you're talking about the def the. The textbook definition of pass interference. That's that's not what the it textbook is. definition of pass. The textbook definition of pass interference would be a guy like hitting a dude before the ball got there. It's like the most obvious thing ever. And I would have been okay. <laughs> that's what happened. No, nah, nah, I, I, I mean I it doesn't matter. Way. But like that's I mean it just was. That was a blatant pass interference. I want to go back to the Pat Fields one though. I have a problem with them calling it pass interference. I would have been fine with they call if they called it holding. They did call it holding. It was no, they, they called, called it defensive holding. No, they called it pass interference. They called because I listened. It's PI, and it was a holding. Like he grabbed the jersey. Call holding because that doesn't matter if it's catchable or not. But they called it a pass interference, which because the ball was in the air. That that's that's what that's like. That's the difference between defensive holding and pass interference, right? Is if the ball's in the air. I think I I mean, I guess okay. Well. I guess I'm not 100% sure on that. I looked at the rules to make sure that the whole catchable thing was actually in the rule book, and it is. So they needed to make sure they did themselves a favor, though, and called it holding because it was uncatchable. Therefore, it shouldn't have been pass interference. That's what I was trying to get at. Uh, th- well, whatever. I mean, either way, it doesn't. I mean, 
officiating is bad in college football. Officiating is bad in every sport. What are you going to do? But yeah, overall, I think they were fine. But as far as pass coverage, we didn't learn a whole lot from those guys because they weren't really tested. I did like how Pat Fields was getting deep and making sure nobody got behind him early in the game, kind of whenever Houston was trying to run those deeper routes. So he looked like he was very aware. Yeah, I I just like I I do want to step in here because like I think context is definitely needed. Lee, Houston returned three receivers that combined for 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns last season. Like, I mean, this is, and they were erased. They got, they had nothing down the field. Like, does, does the secondary. I don't think that's the secondary, though. I think it was more a decision by Houston after the first few series to not even try to go deep. So you think Houston just decided, okay, we don't want to get any chunk plays down the field anymore. Like, I don't know. At least you can give them some credit. I'm okay with you being skeptical and it just being one game, but Houston had like a borderline dominant passing attack coming into this game, and they were completely toothless when they dropped back to pass in this game. Like they couldn't, they couldn't do it. Well, because they were trying to just throw quick passes whenever they were getting chunk yards. And why was it? I mean, early on, yeah. I mean, they they weren't able, but they adjusted and they took what Oklahoma gave them. They started to move the ball, so. I mean, they called one or two kind of shot plays later that didn't really work out, but I don't think they were really trying to drive the ball down the field a whole lot in the game. I just Therefore, think, eh, that's kind of silly. I, I think, of, of course they were. They, they knew no, how they, they weren't. Oh, they weren't. Okay, I, I understand that's how it turned out, but do you really think they came into this game thinking, we don't want to attack Oklahoma down the field? That's ludicrous. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah, that I as know. the game went on and you make changes and you make in-game adjustments they didn't really do a whole lot of that because they didn't have to they didn't need to what do you mean they and, did? yeah because the game was over they were getting killed they're like this was I mean, they were still in it i mean they were down they no, got they forced I, that turn they were down by 11 points with the yeah, ball i i understand oh oh you it wasn't over i don't i don't know what you're talking like it, it wasn't over that's the thing they like, physically oh, let them stay in it which was oh, kind you of phys- annoying yes, for a guy I who had the minus 24 and i a guess half. just don't <laughs> I guess I'm, I just don't really know where you're coming from. I thought the secondary, and like I understand that Houston only threw it 27 times, but Houston's passing stats in this game were bad. And so you either want to give the secondary some credit you're for that the or num- not. You're, you're taking the numbers too literally. I, I think the secondary was fine, but Houston didn't try to stretch them in the second half, and they ran the ball really well in the second half too and that may have been because Oklahoma's secondary and the safety were trying to keep a lot of space because they didn't want to get beat deep and there's a lot more room for De'Aaron King and those guys to run too so just because their passing stats weren't that great doesn't mean that in the second half I mean I didn't go back and do like first half stats second half stats because I, I could have done that because I'm sure Houston's second half stats were probably pretty good offensively overall they they managed 5.9 yards per play which is for a team like Houston, that's that's pretty good. That's really good, actually. But you think in terms of an average, last year Oklahoma allowed six yards per play, so that's right around what Oklahoma gave up on average last year. But against Houston, again, Houston's a team that can that's going to average probably nine to ten yards per play this year. Wouldn't you expect? I mean, they're going to what? No, they're going to be an explosive. That would team. be that would make them the most prolific offense in the history of college football. I'm sure they'll average close to like seven. I would guess. Eh, seven or eight. They're going to be up there. Yeah. Oh, you set the record last year with 8.62 or whatever. Is that only? Is that all? Yeah. I thought it was like, like closer to nine, nine or ten. No. that's. I mean, that's a, like, yeah, they've had games where they've averaged that much, but not for the entire season. Hmm. 
You can tell it's been a long time since we've actually had games to talk about because, uh, man, I just I, I forget this stuff. All right, well, Oklahoma had the best offense in college football this week. Anyway, okay, so we're still on the defense, though. We haven't even talked about turnovers yet. We have some questions coming up. Actually, our next question is about turnovers. How about this? Oh, actually, no. We have, we have uh, one more question first from Phillip before we get to the turnovers. And a lot of these questions are going to be kind of asking the same things here and there, but we're going to address them all because we appreciate you all taking the time to send us questions on the Facebook page. Phillip says, which defense was the real defense, first half or second half? Did you love that the cornerbacks lined up close to their receivers and looked back for the ball to avoid pass interference? So let's answer the first part of this question first. It's hard to, to answer the which one's the real defense. I, I would hope that it's more the first half, and we're going to hope for more improvement. But I think what we saw, we saw a good, and I've alluded to this multiple times already, we saw a good offensive coach in Dana Holgerson, who's really, really good, make adjustments and he's familiar with Oklahoma granted I know he's not familiar with Alex Grinch that much but they changed things up and they started to be able to move the ball pretty well with really good offensive personnel I'd like to think it's more first half but it's too early to tell on that and when it comes to the cornerbacks the second part of your question I noticed them playing some press quite a bit mainly in third down type situations in first and second down scenarios they were kind of playing more off and there wasn't a whole lot of times for them to get tested, but yeah, they did look back for the ball. I remember Jaden Davis kind of late in the end zone on a play one-on-one. -on -one. He looked back for the ball on an incomplete pass. That's one that stands out to me. Uh, but yeah, there wasn't that, that feeling that the defensive backs, the corners, the safeties were lost when the ball was in the air. And again, we didn't see a whole lot of opportunities because they didn't throw the ball down the field that much. It was a lot of quick pass game, screen game. But I'm curious to see now later on, whenever we see teams try to push the ball more, Will the defensive backs also look more comfortable like, like they did Sunday night, Grant? What did you think? Yeah, and I thought at times, even when the ball was in the air, they were sort of fighting their past tendencies. Like when the ball was in the air, they had to remind themselves to look for it, um, which, is what, which is what I kind of alluded to in my opening take. I said there were some glitches with that, and there were, but I, I'm sure that'll get better. Um, yeah, I, I, to answer Phillip's question about what is the real defense first or second half, the truth is probably in between. It's probably going to be in between both of those. Um, and of course, yeah, I, I, I did see a little more press than usual, and I, it worked out for the most part. So um, I, I liked what I saw in the early get-go. And, um, you know, I, there, there's just, especially in the secondary, there's just not a whole lot for me to be upset about. If anything, it's just open field tackling, which I think is going to be an issue for a lot of secondaries in the country, but... Obviously, I wish OU was a lot better at it. All right, so let's get over to the turnover aspect, and we have a question from Justin from Facebook that'll set this up for us. He says, what's your scale on 1 to 10? Uh, how would you rate the defense on a scale of 1 to 10? Justin says, definitely saw some improvement in areas from last season, but no turnovers despite the turnover on downs. Seemed like they had at least three chances for fumbles or interceptions and couldn't make the play. As a big focus as turnovers has been the whole offseason, does that heavily weigh on the way we will score them 1 through 10? Before we answer, though, I do want to play Alex Grinch being asked about not having any turnovers. And this is from Jason Kersey. He's done a nice job of kind of asking Alex Grinch these questions. And unfortunately, sometimes I'm not able to ask them because I'm not up close to to ask these questions at these press conferences because I'm back with a camera that like way in the back and sometimes it's hard to ask but Jason does a nice job of, of asking about this stuff and so he you may remember from the last podcast that 
Grinch said that he wants two or more turnovers per game. That's his goal. And he told us in the media that if OU came away with zero or one turnover against Houston, that he would not be happy with that. So that's the question posed to Grinch. Here's how he answered it last night uh, after the game. No, it, it rips your heart out. I mean, that, that, that's what's be the equivalent of asking an offensive coach, you know, how you feel not scoring touchdowns. I mean, that's that's your purpose of being on the field. Certainly, obviously, you're excited by the win, um, but uh, no, no, uh, devastated that we that you know they got two, we got none. Tell me why. I want to know why. So we got to do a better job as coaches. Do you have a theory on why? I mean, or does that take watching film? No, it takes watching film. But like like, like anything, is is the mindset? Is it is it not enough gang tackling? Is it uh, you know opportunities to make a play in space that, that we didn't make that, that could otherwise you know provide an opportunity for a second guy to get in there and get the ball out? Um, so all those things you, you you look at, and, and is it want to? Or are we not uh, doing a good enough job as coaches to to create that? And we'll, we'll assess that as we go. All right, Grant. So I'll let you comment on Alex Grinch's comments or answer the question there whatever you decide the the question from Justin go ahead well I guess on a scale of one to ten I'd give the defense a six you know uh not not in the sense that it's like a 60 percent and they get a d but it's it's just a solid six and I think that's okay they gave up 31 points over 400 yards um and they got the ball back to the offense on a pretty consistent basis in the first three quarters of the game I thought they were they played well, and they showed some things they're going to be able to improve on. Um, as far as turnovers go, I, I can tell you exactly why they didn't get any turnovers. Is because Houston maybe had two or three turnover-worthy plays. And on one of them, uh, OU was just was not the benefactor of fumble luck. And on the other, I'm trying to think here, one of them, they didn't review for a fumble. That was later in the game, even though I think he was probably down. And then the other opportunity was would have been Patrick Fields in the end zone on the long pass, but that was negated by a roughing the passer anyway. Sometimes the other offense just doesn't have a lot of turnover-worthy plays. Um, I, I'm, I'm not particularly worried about it. They forced the fumble on De'Ara King, and then because the ball bounced in a weird way, Houston got it back. That's just unlucky. That's the thing with fumbles. That's why I was talking about it's kind of silly to focus on fumbles as a defense because statistics over the course of the history of this game say that they're completely random and you really shouldn't worry about them. So that's why I'm kind of, I'm just, turnovers on both sides of this game, I'm just not worried about it at all. The luck just didn't, just wasn't in their favor today, or yesterday. Well, even though you have that kind of mentality when it comes to turnovers, I think you would admit, though, it is nice to have a defensive coach that harps on getting those turnovers as opposed to just, it's a part of it, but not something that you really talk a whole lot about. And the, yeah, the, uh, the way to get more turnovers is more havoc. Just keep doing what they're doing and get better at it. That that's how that's how turnovers are going to come in, in in droves. But I just yeah, Houston I thought did a good job of protecting the football in the game. The on, the one pass that Derek King threw that could have been picked off was like I said that one to Patrick Fields that was negated anyway. All right, I give the defense a seven out of ten because my goal for the defense in this game I wanted them to allow thirty or fewer points. They were almost there almost there uh they the way they started was so great and i think i you know i thought houston would settle in and figure it out as the game went on after i think oklahoma would play well at the start and that's basically what happened i thought the offense would do better though for oklahoma and that's uh and the offense did really well but they just didn't put as many points on the scoreboard so i'll give them seven out of ten because i do like the way they started the game they set the tone early and it was very good and there's lots of room for improvement and I just got to give credit to Houston I thought Houston adjusted pretty well and 
the defense for Houston forced a couple turnovers and gave Houston the ball back, and their offense was able to take advantage of. I think I think both turnovers, I think Houston scored on each one of them. I think they got a field goal, and I think they scored a touchdown. I, th- uh, man, I could be wrong about it. Actually, the second one. Maybe they didn't get a touchdown off the second turnover, but uh, uh, either they didn't. way. They didn't. Uh, okay. They right, got so that was yeah, a good time by the after defense, the second so. after uh, Ramondre Stevenson or Jalen Hurts fumbled. I don't know whose fault that was. Um, yeah, I'm not sure who was credited with that fumble because yeah, the, oh, the exchange never happened. Nobody yeah, ever. Oh, had you it. gotta gotta stop after that. Okay, well, good. So I'll give them seven out of ten. Uh, but that's a good question though. You know, as big of a focus turnovers are, you know, how does that weigh on my score? Uh, not, doesn't weigh at all right now. I'll give them a pass because again, I think Oklahoma, uh, I think Houston's offense is very good, and I think he did, did a good job of explaining it. Grant, there was very few turnover worthy plays, and De'Aaron King takes care of the football. He's smart. He didn't put the ball in perilous spots, with the exception of that one time he got crunched, and Oklahoma just didn't get the fumble luck, as you mentioned. So yeah, De'Aaron King only turned it over six times last year. Like I mean, it's it, it is a rare occurrence when he turns it over. All right, so let's continue here and. Next topic is kind of, you know, why did Houston start having some success later in the game? <clears throat> I will mention this. Alex Grinch, and I wrote this down. Grinch, uh, at the very beginning of his press comment, very beginning, he said that he's got to get better at the end of games. He said that he expected Houston to be more of a passing a passing team in the fourth quarter. Figured they'd try to throw it a lot more. Uh, but obviously Houston had more of a willingness to run the football. And so Grinch kind of pointed the finger at himself for, for kind of having a, a – the idea that the defense or the offense rather would be doing something else. So it sounds like a lot of his calls defensively were in in the thought process of King putting the ball in the air, as opposed to them running the ball more. And maybe that's why they were able to run the football with so much success in the fourth quarter, because Oklahoma wasn't necessarily in the right defensive calls for that. They were brought that up. They were in dime quite a bit in the fourth quarter. If uh, upon my rewatch, I noticed. So, I mean, that makes sense. I cannot comment on that. I did not, watch it that closely because they were in nickel so much I didn't realize that there was any moments where they were putting a six defensive back on the field so I'll have to go back and look at that again uh so the next question we have another question from listeners and this kind of a lot goes along the lines of Houston having success Dylan wants to know from Facebook why did it feel like Oklahoma got away with spying on the quarterback I feel like Murray did a great job doing so, but it felt like Oklahoma got away with spying. Like he means like getting away from like not doing as much. It was frustrating because Derek King's Derek King's legs and Oklahoma's penalties kept several drives alive. And when it comes to spying, you could definitely tell that Kenneth Murray was doing it here and there, and I think even maybe Deshaun White or Ryan Jones, maybe even John Michael most, Perry. Were it was doing mostly it. Murray and Jones who were spying him. But at the same time, though, it's difficult when you don't know the call. If it's one of those things where, depending on what happens in the play, you have King, or maybe if it's a, a somebody else flashes in front of you, then you go to them. So I don't know how many times they actually spied him or not, but it did seem like times when King did break contain and run out of the pocket and get positive yardage. Oklahoma was playing man, and they didn't have anybody responsible for De'Ara King, which is an issue. There were two instances off the top of my head, though, where that were both on third down, I believe, that King was able to escape through the middle. Um, and on both of those plays, and, and for like gains of over 10 yards, and he was being spied on both of those plays, except just Jones and Kenneth Murray made a mistake. So, um, you know, I, I, sure. I, I think some of it is just going to be... And I, I, I don't think it was as much as you think it is going back in your head because a lot of those plays just stand out to us out of what the like the 70 plays that Houston ran 
So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, there they were two off the top of my head where um, I think they may have been designed De'Eric King runs where they actually pulled the guard and the tackle a la OU and Ryan Jones and Kenneth Murray just attacked the wrong, the wrong gap. And, and, and King was able to escape up the middle. So, um, you know, yeah, I think the, the, the success that Houston had on the ground late in the game, I, I think is, is a little concerning, but also we have a little bit of, you know, past knowledge to go back and know that if there's really one thing that this defense can really, or that this defense maybe is susceptible to, it's, it's getting gashed in the run game when you're being a little too overaggressive. And I think Houston kind of found a little bit of that later in the game where they started to understand what OU was doing with their, or with their pre-snap shifts and some of their stunts and whatnot. And they were able to, to leverage that against OU a little bit. And I, you know, I, I want to see more to see how they, how they attack that going forward in the season before I, before I freak out about it too much. Because there were also plenty of, of instances where OU was able to get into the backfield and stop it before it was it was was able to get going. All right, I like this next question from Nathan. He says, "Hey guys, do you think that the defensive front would have more success against a less elusive quarterback?" And based on what I've said in this podcast, you probably already know my answer. I think yes. I, I I'm curious to see what Oklahoma will look like against a quarterback that's not De'Aaron King, who's one of the best quarterbacks in college football and can throw and run at an elite level. I think that factored in a lot as, as to why uh, there wasn't as much havoc as we've seen. So uh, I think it will have more success against more of a, uh, a quarterback that doesn't have the, the capabilities within the pocket and the slipperiness, if that's even a word, of DeGarrett King. So I, I would say at this point, yeah, I, I do think that defensive front will look better against a quarterback, again, that's, that's not as good as King. What do you think? Yeah. Of course, absolutely. So um, going forward, though, there's that's kind of kind of the bit now these days in the Big Twelve. A lot of teams have have mobile quarterbacks. Probably True. not not True. to the extent of De'Eric King, uh, but yeah, they're going to see some other guys. Off the top of my head, the only one I can think of on their schedule that's probably not particularly elusive is Alan Bowman at Texas Tech. Other yeah, than that, pretty one. much pretty much everyone else has some running ability and. Um, in terms of pass blocking, I think I think Texas Tech is probably going to be, uh, depending on what Texas looks like, Texas Tech is going to have one of the stronger pass blocking units in, in the in the Big 12 probably. So I don't know if we're going to get a great idea of how OU looks in that regard until they play Texas Tech at the end of the month. All right, the last defensive question we had, I just got this from Shane on Facebook. I've been kind of looking at the Facebook page as we've been doing the podcast here. And this is an interesting thing that Shane points out that we haven't really got into that detail, but it's, just, it's good to think about just for perspective's sake. Shane says, if you were told before the game that we would give up, and he says we, he means Oklahoma, Grant and I try not to say we, uh, I'd make a point to it, but you know, Shane, you're a fan, you can do it, say whatever you want, but anyways, he says, if you were told before the game that Oklahoma would give up 408 total yards and 31 points, would you be happy? When you break it down more, Oklahoma's offense turned the ball over twice. The OU defense responded by holding them to a field goal and a turnover on downs after those two turnovers. While it was far from perfect, it was better than anything they put on the field against a competent offense last year. So let's start with Shane's question. Uh, I mean, 408 total yards against Houston, yeah, that's great. That's a great number. And again, I wanted 30 or less, so right around 31 points. So yeah, I mean, I'm. am I happy with the defense's performance? Yes, I am. I am happy. 
And I think that's a decent point from Shane at the end. The last thing he said is that, you know, not perfect game, but it was better than anything that Oklahoma put again, put on the field against a competent offense last year. And, and you know what? I think that's a, that's right because any offense like a Houston offense last season would have been almost been able to name their score against Oklahoma. I mean, it was 40 easily, if not 50, uh, Oklahoma played well defensively in the Big 12 title game, but Texas's offense wasn't an offense anywhere near as good as Houston's offense. So that's not as impressive, I guess. So I think that's a, a good point that Shane made, Grant. So what is your thoughts on his question and his statement? I mean, yeah, I I probably would have been pretty happy. I think, you know, 408 total yards is, I mean, for that offense is, is a pretty decent job. Like, I, I keep trying to, trying to compare it to last year and I feel like if OU was going up against this Houston offense late in the year last year everyone would be com- just completely ecstatic with those numbers if the oh, defense yeah. gave yeah. them up what is it? I mean they had they had like 220 yards of offense going into the fourth quarter I mean for the most part they were pretty listless going into the fourth quarter they didn't do much on offense so yeah I mean I and, and I a lot of their stuff came in the in the fourth quarter, going up against backups a lot of the time. And of course, you know, of course, the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the LSU's of the world, their backups don't give up any garbage time stuff. And so I wish OU's wouldn't either. Um, but I think in the context of everything that's happened on defense the last handful of years, I think you do have to keep that in mind. So I'm I'm encouraged. I don't think everything is figured out yet. But they showed me something that I just haven't seen in a long time. And above all else, it was competence. They were very, very competent at times. And there were times where they got gashed, and that's okay. It's going to be cleaned up. They're not going to face a lot more offenses this season that are more explosive and are, are more capable in this Houston team. Maybe a handful of teams are going to be able to match that. Texas, Oklahoma State, maybe Baylor. Those are the only ones I can think of. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else on the defense before we switch our attention over to the Oklahoma offense? Um, not really, outside of just thoughts of players. I thought of all the linebackers, I thought Deshaun White had the most forgettable night. He just I just didn't notice him a whole lot. I thought Ryan Jones actually flashed more than Deshaun White did. Um, Jones mostly just flashed with his size, his length, and his athleticism more than anything else. Um, he, 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 didn't, he didn't make enough plays last year to where we... Th- to where I can I can gauge him off of last year, but I thought he looked pretty good for the most part. And of of the young defensive linemen, I thought Stripling looked the best of uh, out of some of them. I saw David Igwebu get get washed out of a handful of plays in the fourth quarter when they were when they were getting chunk plays on the ground. Um, and another interesting thing, Lee, I did not see Dylan Famatau at all. I don't think he played. Did you see I didn't him at see all? Him either. No, I didn't notice him either. So, and I also noticed it looks like Overton and Gallimore were switching off every single series. And they would, yeah, they both would, those guys are going in and out. Yeah. They're trying yeah. to keep Neville fresh. It seemed they're both yep. of them fresh. Yeah. Yep. And then there were times, though, where they brought on the starting, the, the, there were times where they brought on Gallimore, Redmond, and Perkins just on third down as well. Did you notice that? Say that again. There were times when they were running the twos on defense, but they would get Houston in the third down and they would bring on Redmond, Gallimore, and Perkins. Did you notice that? Well, I didn't notice. I wouldn't classify it as ones and twos, though, because he mixed and matched a lot of the players with yeah. ones and twos. So, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I kind of kept track of every single 
the first like four series, kind of like who was out there. And like, for example, you know, we went over who the starters were in the second series. The same defensive backs were out there, but Ryan Jones was in at will for Deshaun White and Overton was in at nose guard for Gallimore. So there was two new players, but the rest of them, all the stars were there. So uh, in the third series, they put Jordan Parker in at corner for Trey Brown. And the, uh, the other defensive backs were the same. So Parker was in. Uh, they brought Deshaun White back in at will. So him and um, Jones kind of swapped out. And uh, John Michael Terry was still in there at rush linebacker. But then on the, the line, they brought in Stripling for Perkins. So Perkins got his first rest. Uh, and they brought in Redmond at the D tackle for Leron Stokes. So, I mean, I think he was just mixing and matching. There wasn't necessarily like a first string and a second string, at least in my eyes. I mean, obviously, a guy like Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore, uh, the corners, I mean, the safety. I mean, those guys are obviously first string, but some of those positions that we had oars in the depth chart actually seemed to be legitimate oars because they got kind of equal playing time. And then Grinch was giving them an opportunity to to say, hey, hey, you know what? Like, we don't have a set spot, go win it, go play a real game and show me yeah. what you have. Yeah, I in the first half, too, I noticed a weird drive where Brian Mead was actually in for Kenneth Murray as well. The fourth you, drive. Yeah. Fourth drive. Um, Brian Mead was in. Nick Benito came in for the first time at Rush yep. during that uh, series. And they ended up bringing in Murray, though, on third down. So they took Mead off the field on third down. And that was actually the, the series when Murray came in and was spying King and made that great hogtie tackle on third down whenever he chased King out of the pocket and brought him down for the, the, the third of the, you know, third three and out. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of another, there was, there was only one play I can think of, but um, there was an instance where they, where they kind of shifted into that three safety look that John Heacock at Iowa state likes to run with their defense. And I think it was Buki was the third safety in one of them. I can't remember what half it was in. Uh, but that was an interesting thing that I saw. And I also saw um, uh, Justin Broyles come in for Patrick Fields every now and then as well, which kind of yep. surprised me. I would I figured it would be Robert Barnes. Yeah, I don't think Barnes played. <laughs> I didn't. I don't think he played. I didn't see him. Yeah, I don't remember seeing Barnes at all. So that just further solidifies my pick of Barnes as the nickel, one of the worst spring slash summer predictions ever but hey that's the that's the price you pay for having a, a football podcast and trying to have shows at least once a week for yeah. the entire year and yeah. i thought sometimes they miss sometimes the predictions miss sure. and i thought when uh when chance sylvie was in at nickelback he was he was okay just like buki was okay he looks healthy he looks looked healthy uh, he looks spry yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and i say spry because sylvie is an older guy relatively mm -hmm. speaking there was and yeah, he looked good. Yeah, he made one nice play where he did a good job keeping contain on Derek King, um, and actually like attacked the attacked him and forced him to make a decision, um, and then he just kind of fluttered up an incomplete pass to to no one in particular. But that was a nice play. Um, I noticed him. He he was he was man to man on Marquez Stevenson in the slot on one third down conversion they had, but it was a good route. Not a whole lot he could have done about it. Um, yeah, you know, I there was outside of them getting gashed in the run game in the second half, I think you can you can pick out a lot of pretty decent individual performances and we'll just kind of keep our fingers crossed that they can figure out uh, the, the run game a little bit. The last thing I have on the defense is this is, a, this is the second series of the game. So it was when Oklahoma's defense was playing very, very well, it was third and 16, and Oklahoma ended up dropping nine guys. They only rushed two. They rushed Ronnie Perkins and Marquez Overton, and that meant that Laron Stokes kind of dropped a little bit. But it kind of worked out because if you'll probably 
remember this play as I say it because Stokes kind of dropped, but then he realized that King was rolling out to his right, and then Stokes started closing on King, and he closed on King so fast you might have thought he was a linebacker. And so I thought that play was cool because it showed how much of an athlete Laron Stokes is playing inside like that, and he was able to force King to throw it away incomplete because he was barreling down on him, and he wasn't afraid of getting juked or anything like that. And so I just wanted to point out that nice Laron Stokes play didn't doesn't show up in the box score at all but he was the reason why I think that play ultimately did not work out because King had to throw the ball a little bit before he wanted to and that was a nice job to get Oklahoma off the field early in the game yeah I wonder if he was spying on that play oh yeah he might have been it's possible you you, you, probably you see that in Madden every now and then it's just it's just too rush and then there's a spy on the three down line that happens (laughs) in Madden all right, well, after, geez, 40, 50 minutes on the defense, let's go over to the offense. And we've already briefly discussed Jalen Hurts a bit. Don't want to rehash too much. Where do you want to go with this? Do you have notes on Hurts that you want to get to? I don't have a whole lot more to say with the exception of one thing, which we might be in disagreement on. But I'll let you start in case you have any other topics on Jalen Hurts that you want to touch on. Oh, I don't think I have a ton. I think I've I've mostly touched on everything I want with with Jalen Hurts. Um, I'm going through my nuts my uh, my notes here. Yeah, you know, outside of the turnovers, I think that was the only thing you can really nitpick him on. Um, his the three incompletions that he he had are uh, are pretty present in my mind. Obviously, the the attempted back shoulder to CD, which was not a particularly accurate throw. Um, I, I'm hoping they can get that. He also ironed had out. a crosser, I believe. I believe Rambo crossing that he should have looked to him and he was wide open. That would yes, have been a, yes. a chunk play. Yep, yep. So that's just him trying. I mean, he's, he that was on the his, same kind of vision as a Kyler Murray. That was Baker actually that was on his yeah. first incompletion of the game. I think that was on their second series. Where on third down, we're on third and twelve. They they kind of threw like a uh, a wheel route to Basquin that was incomplete, but yeah, he had he had Rambo wide open on the underneath. I'm not even talking um, about that one. Oh, you're not. I'm he only had about, three I'm, incompletions, Lee. I'm he talking not, about. There was right. not. Th- there was not a throw to Charleston Rambo that was incomplete in this game. I know. I'm not talking. I'm talking about a throw to C.D. Lamb, where he had Rambo. It was either Rambo or Basquin dragging across the field wide open but was that uh, was, was that the attempted back shoulder then to cd because cd only had only had what four targets I think it was in, in the, the second half it was on the same drive i believe a play or two later he ended up hitting rambo on the slant for the touchdown so it ended up okay. not mattering because they scored a touchdown all right well i guess well so if he but if he missed if he missed rambo and it wasn't the one where cd the the attempted back back shoulder then they they got something else on the play because he only had the three incompletions. Okay, so. the play I'm talking about was an incomplete pass that he tried to throw to CD Lamb. He underthrew it and he tried to force it to Lamb. Whereas if he would have just looked down to his other progression, he had a guy. Okay, so that was in, that was so that open. was in the first half, and it was the attempted back no, shoulder to Lamb. It was in the second Lamb. half. It was okay. in the second half. You are you are very incorrect. So I, I am 100 <laughs> percent correct. No, <laughs> I just watched it before we started recording the podcast. Yes. Okay. Well, then if if it wasn't. If he threw he threw three incompletions in the game. Two of them were to CD Lamb. One of them was on a back shoulder throw that was that was very open and it was just a bad throw. The other was on the long pass that should have been pass interference in the end zone. Other than that, he had an incomplete pass on a wheel route to Nick Basquin early in the first half on third and twelve. Those were his only incompletions. Okay, wait, go over them again. 
So the, his first incompletion of the game was a wheel route to it Nick was on Basquin. Third and 12. On third and on 12. On third and 12, where they should have just ran the ball and had a, been in four-down territory. Been in four-down territory, and then after that, they missed the first field goal of the game. That was his first incompletion. It wasn't open. He shouldn't have thrown it. His second incompletion of the game was an attempted back shoulder throw to C.D. Lamb in the first half. That was open, but it was just a really bad throw. It was like a really bad throw. I think that was the that was the play where he had where he actually had Rambo on the crosser, and he had Rambo for a lot of yards if he just would have seen him. Okay. He didn't have any incompletions in the second half. He was perfect in the second half. He had no incompletions in the second half, huh? No, his third and final incompletion was the long bomb to C.D. Lamb that should have been pass interference, and that was on and and that was in the second half. That was on the second. Um, uh, that was the drive before. The forty-six yarder to to Lamb. Are you sure he didn't have an incompletion in the second half, Grant? Pretty sure, because the box score says he has an incompletion to CD Lamb, and then the next play is Charleston Rambo slant. That's exactly what I told you. Okay, so maybe that was the back shoulder then, and I'm just mistaken. Yeah, doesn't really matter. I was just trying to say it had to have been the back shoulder. So confident that I was so wrong. Yeah, he was trying to force it to CD Lamb, and then legit, literally the next play was the okay. easy slant to Rambo. And, and then I, I, I do have issues with your with your words there saying to force it. It was not a forced throw. It was very much open. He, it just was a bad throw. Well, by I say force is that he knew before the play, he's like, I'm going to throw this ball to CD Lamb. Like, I'm not going to look at the rest of my progressions and notice that I have Charleston Rambo crossing the field, where we see... That play all the time in Lincoln Riley's offense where they do the cross the field and the guy's wide open for chunk yardage. I think he wanted to go to CeeDee Lamb no matter what. That's what I mean by he forced the throw. Fair enough. Uh, okay, man, that was a lot on – not a whole lot. My main concern, though, is uh, – I mean, he's had injury issues, and he ran the ball a lot, and he wants to run a lot. I He is going to put himself in some some injury risk. And that's not, I'm not breaking any news here. Everyone kind of knows that watching him. He's a big dude. He can take hits, but man, I I don't want him running that much. I really don't. I, I'd, I'd much rather him kind of go through his progressions more and try to pull the trigger and not just kind of pull it down when he sees some daylight. So that's my main concern. He got out of this game healthy as far as we know. He's got South Dakota next week. Hopefully that's a game where he doesn't have to run much at all and he can get into UCLA perfectly healthy. But that's, I mean, like any quarterback that, puts the ball down and runs a lot that's my concern I mean that's Sam Ellinger's concern I mean he's this big dude he runs a decent amount and he gets banged up a lot I mean that's what Texas fans are probably worried about when it comes to Ellinger so that's my main concern with Jalen Hurts is is he going to run too much and will that lead to an injury but you know what maybe Lincoln Riley is so confident in Tanner Mordecai or (coughs) Spencer Rattler that it's like you know what that's okay. Like, not that he's going to put Hurts in some precarious situations, I don't think, but you know, maybe he's confident in his backups. Who knows? I don't know. I my takeaway from that game last night was that his running ability is is the highlight of Jalen Hurts' game, and I think maybe you need to highlight it. I think that's what's going to unlock this offense the most. So, I, and I I think that's how you put the defense in a bind and get them to think and and that opens stuff up for other guys. So I. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence at all that we saw him run it 17 times. I think that's going to be a massive part of the offense this year, and I th- I think it's fair to be worried about him getting hurt because he has had some injury yeah. problems, especially in the last calendar year at Alabama. Uh, but 
the question you know, is I, how many of those runs were designed quarterback runs, and I didn't remember to keep a tr- uh, tally on that as I was watching, but I would guess that ha- I mean maybe half, half and half. Half of them probably just were. a rough estimate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think Hertz run. I think there's going to be more design runs for Hertz than there ever was for Kyler, um, and I think frankly speaking, Kyler is just a better thrower, and that's okay. All right, let's talk more Hurts, and we'll go to another Facebook question, this one from Dakota. He wants to know our opinions on Jalen Hurts and his read progression. Dakota says, I know he had great numbers, but I felt that if he didn't have his first read, then he could put the ball down and run, which, if this is the case, could hurt Oklahoma down the stretch. Anyways, love the show. So, Dakota, I, I somewhat share your, your concerns as well. I... I didn't get the sense enough, and maybe this is because just the TV view, we couldn't see the all 22. It did kind of get the feel that he did look to run pretty quick and it was progressions a lot of the times, but I don't know if that really there wasn't anything there and he didn't pull the trigger because there wasn't anything there, or is it one of those things where he just isn't as good at as Kyler or Baker of anticipating and eliminating and getting rid of the football? And he's clearly not as good as those guys at doing that. He just isn't. So how much does that factor in? It's one game. It's tough for me to really to say that 100% his progressions were bad or good. I think it was fine and ultimately it worked out because in the, 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 the frame of that game, he could get away with pulling it down and running. Now, will that work against everybody? I don't know yet. Uh, so I know I'm kind of splitting the baby a bit on this answer to this question, but uh, I I think there's something there of him maybe pulling it down too early and running because that's kind of more of his game than the other two guys we've seen the last few years. But I'm not that concerned about it quite yet. I'm just more concerned, again, with him potentially getting injured because of all the running, Grant. So what did you think? I mean, we'd obviously like it if he would sit back there and he'd go through his progressions one, two, three really quickly and then throw it to the right guy. Um, in that respect, we've been spoiled by, by the last four seasons at quarterback. And, you know, I obviously that's what we would prefer in the passing game. But at this point in time, and, you know, he, he could get better as the season goes on. But at this point in time, I'm going to take what we can get from Jalen Hurts. And I, I just, I don't think if, if your concern is you don't think that they can win a national championship with him just going one read, one read, I, I beg to differ. How do you think Clemson just beat Alabama in the title game? Just one read, throw to the guy. That's why you got to have dudes like C.D. Lamb that that can make plays one on one against other people. So, um, no, it's it's not a massive concern for me yet. Obviously, I'd like him to be to go through his progressions like an NFL quarterback, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think there'll be times where he does a good job, but this is where his running really comes in handy and. I think I think OU should leverage that. This is they got him for one year. Don't don't leave any bullets in the chamber. I want to highlight one play in the second half on the drive where Oklahoma went up forty-two to seventeen, and it was the first play of the series. And you're going to remember this right away, where Hertz began looking like a design quarterback run off tackle, but then he pulled up and hit Rambo down the field for thirty-three yards. And I just wanted to point that out because it just shows right away that Lincoln Riley is once again using a player like Jalen Hurts and being creative and forming a play 
based on his style of game, which, you know, he's mixing and matching the quarterback power run game and then throwing in a nice little wrinkle where the defense all went up like he was going to run it because he'd been running all game and then Rambo was wide open in front of the safety. So I just wanted to highlight that again to just show how creative and how awesome Lincoln Riley is. And again, we're we're so spoiled with him because he is just the best in the business at at designing plays and and scheming people open and Jalen Hurts through game one is taking advantage of that so that was kind of a fun play and you got to think that we didn't even see close to as many wrinkles as we're going to see over the course of the year in game one I mean I'm sure he's got I hope not I, I just I Jalen Hurts really did look dominant running the ball in this game like he is going to be a really huge problem for defenses in the big 12 and that's my concern right now are the defenses in the big 12 um, so I, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna see a whole lot of, whole lot more creative things, and I'm I'm excited. Guys, hard to tackle. I think that's just that's pretty clear from watching them in one game. Quickly on the offensive line, we did see Eric Swinson play a bit, although R.J. Proctor did start at left tackle, even though Swinson was listed as number one in the depth chart. But it would seem that Swinson. It's good to see him out there. He, you know, we were worried a couple weeks ago maybe he was severely injured, wasn't going to be available. He is available. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on the offensive line. I thought uh, for game one, they were good. Uh, brand new unit. We have beaten this into the ground multiple times on this podcast that Bill Biedenboe's units usually start to gel after four, five, six games. So this is a great start for them. And I don't have a whole lot to say. I It's... It's tough for me. I don't watch the offensive line a whole lot. I'm like, oh, who's dominating? Who's playing really well? So I, I apologize. I don't have a that many in-depth thoughts on it. I just can say I didn't notice them a whole lot. And I think that's a good thing, especially for game one. Do you have any other more detailed thoughts on the offensive line? No, I thought they did a good job for the most part. Um, I think there were times, especially in the beginning of the game, that R.J. Proctor got beat off the edge a few times, not like destroyed. Uh, and Jalen was able to step up and, and take care of it. But I think that's probably why we saw Eric Swenson. I, I don't know what's going on with that at all. Like it, at, Eric Swenson is listed as the starter with no oars or anything, but RJ Proctor actually starts. We thought Eric Swenson was hurt. The depth chart told us otherwise. RJ Proctor actually does start. And then what plays, plays the first half or the first quarter essentially. And then, does, we don't see him again, and it's just Eric Swenson. So, God, it makes me wonder if he was suspended, and they just don't want to say anything about it. I don't. I have no thoughts that's or comments weird. on that because I, I mean, honestly don't really care. Yeah, I, whatever. The, the offensive line was fine. There were some glitches uh, sometimes where Houston was able to get uh, some penetration guys into the backfield. Um, that happens every now and then when you run so much counter like OU does. Um, but really, for the most part, I thought they looked good. Plenty to build on, and I think by uh, by midseason, they're most likely going to be one of the best units in the country. Running back-wise, only three guys dressed. Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon, and Ramondre Stevenson. I saw Marcus Major on the sidelines in street clothes, and then uh, I think it was Friday or Saturday night, probably Friday night, TJ Pledger put out an Instagram post saying that surgery went well. There's a picture of him. looked like his arm or his hand or something was in a cast or maybe not a cast. But So TJ Pledger, I don't, who, know, who knows what his status is going forward. So only three running backs dressed. And it was a game for Jalen Hurts running the ball. We saw Trey Sermon with some flashes, of course. Still looks very good. We saw uh, a brief flash back-to-back plays from Kennedy Brooks. He went for 40 yards, and I think he went for like 10 or 12 yards on the next play, and then there wasn't much else to, you know, to do for Kennedy Brooks. But uh, 
I think it's interesting that I, you know who knows what's going on with Marcus Major. I don't know if there's a an injury there or what's going on because he's a player that we haven't talked a whole lot about. But that running back depth was pumped up by Lincoln Riley a week or two ago or last week. And so going into that game with only three guys dressed. And already down to three dudes. <laughs> I know. It's like, what? That's, that's, I mean, I mean, good thing the depth is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, actually. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad uh, in that respect. I'm glad we got to see a decent amount of Ramondre Stevenson, even though I think he only had one positive or two positive gains. Um, yeah. They both looked they good, though. They were in though. the same drive. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely saw what Trey Sermon said at the start of fall camp that his running style, Ramondre Stevenson's, his gait, his running style kind of reminds him of Jamal Charles. I kind of saw that too. I did too. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, Stevenson's a much bigger player than Jamal Charles, but it's pretty fascinating that at what, 6'1", 6'2", whatever Stevenson is, goes about probably 230, 240, I don't know. And he kind of glides out there and it does kind of look like a little Jamal Charles running the football. Yeah, kind of like those quick, choppy cuts that Jamal Charles was was kind of yeah. famous for. Really quick cuts. Um, it, it, he looks like a guy, though, who, who kind of needs some space to operate, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I, a lot of the times, that you, the same can be said for, for Sermon and Brooks, especially if, if guys on the defensive line are able to sort of get penetration on those counter looks. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of Kennedy Brooks, which I, when you actually look at the box score and you look at the distribution of the carries is not all that surprising considering that Jalen Hurts was used so often in the run game. Uh, but when, geez, when Brooks got into the open field was really impressive, like he always is, um, just with how well he glides and how effort effortless his cuts are. Um, but for the most part, Lee, I thought Trey Sermon looked great. He looked really good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I mean, he showed that athleticism at the end of the first half by hurdling a guy. It was kind of unnecessary because he fell out of bounds anyways. But still, it's just kind of fun to see something like that. Stiff arms, very first carry of the game, uh, making a nice move, getting by the corner and, and showing that speed. He said he's down to like running. A, I can't remember how fast he says he is now, what his 40 is. But I mean, he's apparently gotten faster. And so he's ready to have a big year. He's ready to go to the NFL. And I mean, he's a guy that's tough because he's going to have a lot of mileage on him going into the NFL. But he's a player that has been relatively healthy for the most part, and he is an exciting guy. It's it's a guy. Just think back, Grant. Remember whenever before he played a down and it was spring game, you weren't that high on him. You you didn't you weren't sure if he was kind of going to be a guy. And uh, it shows you what uh, you know. Like it's tough to gauge sometimes, but uh, man, he's turned into one of the best running backs we've seen. And again, RBU, it's a thing. He's really good. He's a good yeah, player. And he he's, so. he he really is. I mean, it's hard for me to come up with some sort of comparison for him because he, he's different. He's just he's just all around a really good player. He's good between the tackles in a phone booth. He makes guys yeah. miss really easily. Like we, we've said it. He was top three in the country last year per pro football focus and forced missed tackles. Uh, the guy, the guy's really hard to tackle. And I'm not sure if he looked faster last night, but he definitely looked quicker. And um I'm mm-hmm. excited to see what what we can what we'll get from him for for an entire season. Let's get him over a thousand yards for the first time. He deserves it. How about the wide receivers? Ten different guys caught a pass. Charleston Rambo led the team with three catches and yardage. I think also Nick Basquin had three catches as well. You know, CD Lamb had the big uh, CD Lamb and Rambo had the two big pass plays of the game for touchdowns. How about A.D. Miller catching a pass? 
Yeah, I think in the first half, actually a really good throw by Jalen Hurts. Kind of rolling to his left and throwing an out route to A.D. Miller. Guy almost transferred, and he's in, in getting snaps in the lineup. Good for him. Uh, we didn't see, uh, as far as the young guys, all we saw really was Jaden Hazelwood making plays out there. Had a really nice catch and run. Bridges and Weiss were out there when uh, when Mordecai was. Okay, and Bridges was out there too for a little bit with Hertz as well in the second half, but he didn't get targeted. Bridges also had a really nice special teams tackle. He on flashed kickoffs. on special teams, yeah, and he was also in on another one as well. So, so that was good. Didn't see Stogner until the very, very end. Wasn't he is targeted. so big. Stogner mm-hmm. is so big. Um, although I think Stogner was in on a goal line formation with uh, with the first team offense as well. Um, okay. but obviously didn't get any run because they were just, just pounding it with Hertz. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, what else can you say about just the skill talent other than they just have a ton of options and I, you can't really go wrong with, with any of them. It seems like I'm trying to say I put this in my notes. There was a time where they put a stat up after the first half. Gosh, where did, you probably saw it too. It was something like Oklahoma, as far as 10-plus yard plays, does this ring a bell for you? Yeah, they had 19 10-plus yard plays in the first half, I think. Which is the most that Oklahoma's had in a single half in the last 15 years. So since 2004. So they, they never did that with Mayfield or Murray? That's what's so crazy about that game is that the offense was was amazing, yet for whatever reason, we're so used to Mayfield and Murray. It's almost kind of like I, I expected it, slash I was kind of like – not let down because that's not fair, but as far as the points on the board, only 49, it seemed like there should have been a lot more points up on the board. And I know there's two missed field goals. One of them was a basically a 50-yarder, which Lincoln Riley took responsibility for, for putting Sutherland out there for his first ever attempt at almost 50 yards. He said he was kind of an idiot the way he handled that situation. So that's Riley backing up his guy. But, Good. Uh, He's re- that's that was that was very incorrect by him. I'm glad he mm-hmm. copped up to that. That was yeah. Dumb. Riley said he's like yeah. I pretty much bungled that entire sequence. He so he took full responsibility for that. And he Just, said yeah, man. Ca- I think it's Callum. That's how you pronounce his name. He said yeah. He he flushed it. He hit it real hard. It just freaking killed you know, it. Just Jeez. Wasn't on on target. Um, but his uh, his second kick though was awful. He, he missed it was that terrible. By yeah. A lot. I just take. It. Take the kickers out of the equation, and when you're going to use them, put them in the best position possible. <laughs> just, All the extra points were good, so that's that's just a positive. Do, I, I just that would that would be my number one uh, if I'm a head coach in using the kicking game. Just don't use them whenever possible. They're so fragile, and there's it's just. And now I feel like they're going to have a problem with it the rest of the year because of this. Just pick your spots. That that wasn't the time. Well, maybe they'll go to Gabe Burkich as the kicker, which, by the way, we haven't mentioned that. We all thought Burkich was going to be the place kicker, and he was just the kickoff starter, and uh, Sutherland was the guy who won the kicking job, it looks like. Which, so that's which tells me they probably didn't know based off of fall camp, which, um, uh, brace yourselves. They might have some kicking issues this year. I, I And I know it's one game, but when we when everyone thought it was going to be this one guy, the guy who's actually on scholarship, and they give it to the other guy who's not on scholarship, that means there there might be some issues behind the scenes, and so um, I, I I would love just nip it in the bud now. Don't kick field goals, and I and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm dead serious. Yeah, we, and those who have listened to this podcast since the beginning know your thoughts on kickers, especially just, college it, kickers in general. In in 2019 with football, three points doesn't do anything for you. It just doesn't unless unless it extends it. 
unless it's a close field goal and it extends it from like a three-score game to a four-score game. I, I just get get seven points. Don't mess around with field goal kickers. It's it's a losing proposition. Before we wrap things up, talking about Oklahoma, I do have a soundbite from Jalen Hurts that I find kind of interesting. Uh, but before we get to that, I kind of want to play that at the end. Do you have anything else you want to touch on offensively before we get to this Hurts sound? Nope. Other than, you know, if it wasn't for Jalen Hurts' record-setting performance, you know what? Just another ho-hum day from the offense. Just another yeah. ho-hum 700 yards, and I'm serious. 11.2 yards per play. That's a, that's a, that was a defense coming in that, you know, we joked around in the summer when we were originally pre- pre- previewing Houston. We said that it could be aggressively terrible, and they weren't <laughs> good, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do outside of them turning it over, and, and kicking field goals when they shouldn't have. This was a game, by and large, Lee, they should have won. This game should have been closer to like 60-something to 20-something. They should have won this game by, by six or seven touchdowns. Well, I'll give you credit because your score prediction was closer than mine. You didn't think Oklahoma would cover. They didn't. And I, uh, I was almost, you know, what, what was yours, like 52-34 or something? So yeah. You're, yeah. So you got, the, you got the, the difference perfectly. So you nailed that, the 18 points. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I just didn't, I underestimated the amount of points that Oklahoma would score. It, it definitely didn't. It definitely didn't play out the way I expected it in my brain. Um, and I know we and we touched on this earlier and I know you disagree with me, but I, I thought the game was pretty much over at 21 to nothing. They didn't. OU was just, was physically manhandling them. It just, as far as in the win loss column, I agree. But, you know, it, if you don't cover, do you really win? Yes, that's so, a stu- I mean yeah. I I understand you're trying to be funny but of course I mean, I mean that No, it's it's real. It's a real deal here. I mean yeah. OU is OU is substantially better than Houston and they they just were sloppy at times and only won by 18 when they should have won by by 35 to be honest with you. But they fell below expectation. So, you know, who else didn't cover? Ohio State didn't cover, neither did Michigan. Ooh. I was pretty upset at that non-Ohio State cover. Actually, their game, their game played out pretty similarly. Hold on, wait till the we get to the outside of OU. Don't get into a five-minute talk Ugh. about Ohio State. I, I want to play but, the soundbite from Jalen Hurt. Oh, I what, know. Do you have something quick? Well, we're just going to talk about the offensive grade. They get an A. They get an A. Yeah, they get an A. But hold on, I just they get an A. But th- I think this is not an offensive soundbite from Hurts. I think this is just a, a in general, and this is kind of the attitude that you know you're going to get from Jalen Hurts, but it. It is important considering this guy comes from the background he comes from at Alabama. In the postgame press conference, and you may have seen it too on the field whenever he was talking to, uh, who is it, Shelly Smith, I think, after the game, that he, was, he seemed a bit annoyed with kind of everything. And so just listen to this. One thing we need to say straight right now is we're not going to make excuses for ourselves. Um, you know, I can't sit here and say, we got to take steps. We just got to take those steps we need to take in all areas. We had flashes of great things, and there are some times where we're going to sit back and know, and we know now at this moment we need to do better. So we need to take that step. We need to we need to go to work. So, yeah, he said we got to take those steps like 15 times. By the way, I was wrong. It was Holly Rowe after the game. My, my apologies for getting uh, Holly Rowe and Shelly Smith uh, mixed up. But um, he just he seemed kind of like – annoyed that they didn't win by more or they didn't play as well as he thought they should have which I mean the coaching staff always has a high standard so it's nice that the quarterback I'm not saying that Mayfield and Kyler weren't the same way but 
it kind of means more a little bit coming from Hertz because he knows what it's like to be around a championship winning program. It's kind of a cliche by now, but I really do think there's some some merit to that. So do you I mean, what do you think about that? Do you agree or do you yeah. think it matters that much? Honestly, my very first thought when I and I, I didn't hear him um, with the media post game, but I did hear the Holly Rowe interview afterwards when he was talking about how they got to get better. And he was kind of disappointed in, in some of the parts to me that that just screams Alabama. Um, they're they're famously for you know the process and part of their process is they generally don't concern themselves with with wins and losses they concern themselves with making individual and team goals over the course of the game and uh and realizing those goals and when that doesn't happen they're upset that's how they get better because they know if they just worried about wins and losses and stuff like that they're going up against teams they're way more talented than that's it's pretty easy to take that for granted and so my first thought was, yeah, that's definitely the mentality that was just hammered into him when he was at Alabama. I think uh, yeah. they won by they won by eighteen, but there were there were lots of parts of that game where they were imperfect, and that you know, for lack of a better word, that disgusts him. And I'm sure he's also he's probably upset that he turned it over. I'm guessing, and he should be. Fumbles are maddening, and I don't think he should worry about them because fumbles, like I said, are are really no big deal. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's good. It's it's good to have that, especially um, especially from your captain. And I think maybe that's what Oklahoma has been missing these last couple years. Hey, we won a game. We showed flashes of brilliance at times. But, hey, let's not be happy with just winning this game by 18. We, we left a lot on the field here, and we can do a lot better, and we have a long ways to go until, hey, Jalen Hurts knows the level of, of these teams that are winning the national championship. He knows they have a long way to go. And hopefully that's something that he uh, he keeps them accountable for over the course of the year. All right, that concludes the Oklahoma portion of this podcast. We'll spend the rest of the time having Grant just navigate us through the first big week of college football. And I will say I was able to watch a lot of the games on Saturday because I randomly had the day off because Oklahoma played Sunday. So that was nice. There are some teams, some games I didn't get a chance to watch. I haven't seen yet, so I may not be able to comment on. But I did see a lot of the games this week already. So uh, with that, Grant, lead the discussion. What do you want to talk about when it comes to the rest of college football? What's burning you right now? Or All what? right. Well, I think yeah, whatever. Well, we can start with the Big 12. And I think there's really only three other teams that are even worth talking about um, in the Big 12 this week. And we'll, we'll start with Oklahoma State. They are on the road Friday night at Oregon State. And uh, Spencer Sanders Lee actually played the entire game. He started, played the entire game. Mike Gundy did not name a starter at all before, so we didn't know whether it was going to be uh, Drew Brown or Spencer Sanders. But Sanders went the entire way, Lee, and, you know, I not super happy to say this because it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't necessarily mean great news for OU, but Spencer Sanders looks like he may be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, he had a. I mean, his numbers were very Jalen Hurts like, uh, as far as just efficiency and and yards. Not quite as many touchdowns accounted for, but I mean, he threw more than 200 yards passing, over 100 yards rushing. Slippery, looked good out there. Granted, again, against same as Jalen Hurts against a bad defense. So both of them faced bad defense. Although Sanders making his very first ever college start and appearance, Jalen Hurts was not. I agree. I was able to watch a decent amount of that game don't have any sort of like really detailed thoughts but he looked like he was under control and his arm strength looked really good ball placement pretty good 
uh, seemed to know when to run, when not to run. And he just has all that talent around him with Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard to distribute to. That, yeah, Oklahoma State, I mean, the defense looks like it might be bad again, which I was kind of surprised. I thought they would do better against Oregon State. But that offense and, and Mike Gundy, my, he might have found himself, uh, you know, that next really good quarterback. Yeah. I, I, and, and, you know, I, I still want to see Sanders go up against a, uh, you know, a good secondary guys who, who know what he wants to do with the ball, see if he can fit it into kind of tighter windows at times. But I, if Sanders can do that and just how, how mobile he was and how well he ran the ball, and then, man, Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard is a really good one-two punch on offense. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuba Hubbard was really impressive. I, I that if if they give him the ball 20, 25 times a game, that he's he's going to get you something. I mean, that's for sure. And they didn't even really need Tylen Wallace to go off. Um, so, Oklahoma State, I, I think you know they're they're right there with the other with the other top three teams in the conference, and uh, I think. Th- they're they're gonna really challenge some teams this year. I, I wish they played a more challenging non conference schedule. I'd like to see them against um, maybe a better out of conference team. But you know, I think this is gonna be an Oklahoma State team that is formidable this season. And you know, I their defense didn't didn't look great. Uh, but at the same time, Oregon State actually did show did show something on offense last year. They are actually pretty explosive, relatively speaking. So it's not necessarily a death knell that Oklahoma State gave up some mm. yards and points. Uh, but Oregon State was okay like on the ground. They had a pretty good running back, a fresh, but like throwing the football, yeah. they were pretty bad. You're so. right, and that was that was where they did most of their damage against Oklahoma State. But I mean, Oklahoma State was was they're going to have a bad defense. It's Oklahoma State. Like I don't, <laughs> and and I know that's that's very reductionist and and very simple, but. Just look at the history of college football and what we know about the sport. They're not going to have a good defense. It's going to be a defense that OU is going to be able to do pretty much whatever they want against. And for, you know, and relative to this podcast, it's really what we care about. All right, so tell me about Texas. I honestly did not see one snap of that game. I was going to watch it, but then I saw that they were having no problems with Louisiana Tech. And at that point, I was like, all right, well, I'm not that interested. I'll watch it later. So I, based on the scoreboard, which isn't, doesn't mean a whole lot, it looked like Texas had a nice night against La Tech. Did Texas have a nice night? Their offense definitely did. I, I can't say a ton about the defense because um, I, I wasn't paying attention super closely to their defense, but uh, they looked really solid on offense. They did pretty much everything um, that you would expect them to do. Again, they were not particularly explosive. They did have a handful of... of of kind of like 25 to 30 yard pass completions, both of them to Brennan Eagles, um, who is a name, who is a new name. Uh, but you know, other than that, I know a lot of Texas fans were really excited about, uh, DuVernay in the slot or DuVernay in the slot. Um, they didn't really use him as a guy to stretch the field. They mostly just threw gadgets and bubble screens to him. And you know, he's, He's fine after the catch, but I still maintain he's just a dude. He's just another guy. I, he's not a guy I don't think is, is going to scare a ton of defenses. Um, but I thought Sam Ellinger looked good. He certainly knows exactly what Texas wants from him out of that offense, and he runs it really well. So I think going forward against LSU, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to generate uh, big passing plays because I think that's that's where they're going to win or lose that game. So I didn't have a ton to say about Texas other than. For the first time under Tom Herman, they're one and zero, and really, I 
it kind of seems like for the first time since I don't know two years ago they they looked considerably better than a weaker opponent and they did what they were supposed to do and the right. same could not be said last season um, that's true Although LaTeX didn't did end up with about 450 yards of offense against them, 413, 413, okay, and they they were able to kind of move it in chunks through the air at times, um, but really the one thing that stood out to me about Texas's defense was uh, they they threw out quite a bit of creative blitz packages that when I watch it on TV are just really confusing and difficult to discern where they're coming from, and so I think. I think that's going to be sort of the theme of their defense going forward this year and how much pressure they can get on the quarterback. Uh, didn't get a ton of pressure. Didn't have a lot of sacks or tackles for loss against La Tech. Um, but if you just go back and rewatch that game and just look how much they're moving and how much they're standing guys up, it's pretty confusing. So uh, really interesting game with LSU coming up next week. We'll know a lot more about them after that game. Yeah, to your point, as far as Texas's offense not being all that explosive, only 6.2 yards per play. That's not very good. That's not great. Not great. But still, still win 45-14. Uh, one of the bigger stories in the Big 12, obviously, was Iowa State eking out in overtime, a triple overtime win over you and I. I watched overtime. I saw that. I didn't see the regulation part of it. Um, I, I don't have a lot to say about this one either, uh, other than I'm glad Iowa State didn't lose because that would have been – that would not have looked good. But uh, Northern Iowa is traditionally a really good FCS team, but I like Iowa State a lot. I know a lot of people on the nation do. You shouldn't be struggling with even a really good FCS team if you're trying to be as good as you think you are. Iowa State, for example, I know that this team is not as good or is, is better than Iowa State, and I would say marginally better than Iowa State or, or a lot better than Iowa State based on week one, but a team like Washington – was playing Eastern Washington, who is always a really good FCS team that competes for a national title at that level, and Washington just blew their doors off. wasn't even a game. So, uh, again, don't have much to say on Iowa State, although that's it's not great that they struggled the way that uh, they did against you and I. Yeah, and just 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 as context, and I don't know, you, you get you can kind of run into some problems when you're comparing scores and whatnot. Uh, but the number two. FCS team in the country was James Madison. They lost to West Virginia at West Virginia. Um, the number three FCS team is South Dakota State. They lost by a touchdown at Minnesota. UC Davis is number four. They barely lost to Cal. Lee Eastern Washington was the number three team in the country, and Washington beat them like a drum. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm not overreacting too much to Iowa State. I, I will say that a whole heck of a lot had to go right for Northern Iowa to even really be in that game. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a little concerning that Iowa State couldn't just go up and down the field on them. Um, they, it certainly looked like they were missing Hakeem Butler and, and, a, and a downfield passing uh, threat. I know Deshante Jones, he had 14 catches, but he, he averaged like only like six yards a catch or something like that. So... Um, and, but Brock Purdy didn't have any, he didn't run the ball at all. So I'm sure they were probably just trying to get by and not a great time for Iowa state to have a bye week coming up here. Um, I feel like they probably, it'd probably be better if they just got out there and played again, but alas, we will not see them again until they play Iowa in two weeks. Northern Iowa, by the way, the number 12 ranked team in the FCS. So not quite a top 10 team, but, um, not a uh, really bad FCS team either. 
Anything else? I mean, yeah, in the notes you have here that uh, the Big 12 was a perfect 10 and 0, <laughs> which, uh, granted, we brought up the fact that tons of FCS opponents uh, in the Big 12, but hey, I mean, they were supposed to win all those games they did, and then Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State took care of business. Therefore, the Big 12 is uh, perfect through one week. Yeah. So that's and great, then, I guess. Yeah. Those other. Uh the seven games against FCS teams, we just we don't we didn't really learn a whole lot from that. Other teams largely just took care of business. Uh, Iowa State, Kansas, and West Virginia all struggled with their FCS teams. Uh, the other four handled business pretty easily. So we will see when they actually play FBS opposition next I week. I think K State should get some some uh, some praise because they beat the crap out of Nichols, and Nichols is a top ten FCS team. And I believe last season, Kansas State had some issues with Nichols. <laughs> I, think the, I think it was Nichols last year or was it somebody else? Was it one of the South Dakotas they played? I can't remember. No, maybe it was uh, – sorry, I'm looking at their schedule right now. Oh, it was South Dakota. Yeah. So K-State had trouble with South Dakota last year, the team that Oklahoma plays this week, when uh, the Wildcats only beat South Dakota by a touch, or by a field goal in Manhattan. And so, then, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe Kleiman's got them off. You know, that's, that's a good start of course, for Kleiman, Kansas State this year. Kleiman comes in and he's like – Geez, man, I've been beating the crap out of Nickel State yeah. for a decade. I know. This I is know. easy. <laughs> it's a great start for him. A very familiar opponent, I'm sure. I have a little more thoughts on the rest of college football, though, as we get more into the, the national scene. Because okay. I, I watched all of that or, uh, the Auburn-Oregon game. Well, then let's just transition right into that game, then, Lee. What are, what are your thoughts on, on Auburn's uh, dramatic win over Oregon? Well, one, I had Auburn. So, I mean, that's a lucky... A lucky win and cover on that one, but I don't know what to take from this game. I'm not sure what to to think of either one of these teams. I've been trying to crystallize my thoughts on it, and kind of here's the way I, I look at it. I think Auburn's defense is really good again because I think Kevin Steele's a great defensive coordinator, and they have a lot of talent. And I think Oregon's offense is probably pretty good too, but they kind of neutralized one another. So Oregon had a tougher time, I think, against a better defense, and they looked pretty good early on, but then. Justin Herbert was basically kind of what we thought he is. He's just kind of there. And again, that's a tough defense he's going up against. So he played okay. I mean, he played well. Uh, but then on the other side, the other matchup, I think Oregon's got an okay defense and maybe a good defense, but I don't think Auburn's offense is really that special either. So I think the strength of each team, I think, was going against each other. And the weak, I, I use weakness just not necessarily like it's bad, but just like the lesser of the two parts of the team, I think, were going against each other. I'm not sure what to take from this game. I think both teams are, are pretty good, but I don't know if either one of these teams are legitimate national title contenders. And I think Auburn's pretty lucky to get out of there with a win. I think Bo Nix is a nice player. He's a, obviously making his first ever start. He's got a lot, a lot of room to improve, but I think he's got some talent. He looked, And I can see why that offense is, is well-designed for him. So, uh, entertaining game. I mean, it went down to the end. I mean, a primetime matchup, best game of the weekend as far as the two teams playing each other. But, again, it's tough for me to really know what to take from that game because I I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, I'm being unfair here, but I, it's, I'm kind of confused, and I'm not really sure how good either one of those teams are right now compared to the rest of the nation. What do you think? Yeah, I, I share your, your kind of overall thoughts. I think if we, if we want to compare the teams – I think Auburn and Oregon overall are, are pretty similar in quality. I don't think there's a ton separating either of those teams. Um, 
I do have individual takeaways from either team. I don't think Oregon's offensive staff is particularly good. Um, I can when I watch Justin Herbert, I, I I get it. I understand why the NFL draft community is is sort of enamored with him. Physically, he does he does have a lot of tools. He's got the size. It looks like he has the mobility. The ball just kind of effortlessly glides out of his hand, and he's got quite a bit of pop behind it. So I understand that. Having that been said, Oregon sure didn't try to throw the ball down the field that much in the game. Um, and I got to think a lot of that has to do with their receivers. Uh, who I, And I know they were replacing a lot of guys, and they even used the adjective of depleted to, to describe their receiving core there. But I just feel like there was probably a lot more they could do to leverage Herbert's talents at quarterback. But at the same time, the times that he did throw it downfield, he wasn't particularly accurate, which has kind of been what I've seen of Justin Herbert when I've watched him in college. He's just not particularly accurate thrower down the field, which is, I mean, that's how you make a living in the NFL. So I don't, I don't know how he's going to be a top 10 pick if he can't deliver anything accurately down the field. But having that been said, um, I thought Oregon's offensive line held up pretty well in pass protection. You hear all this about how great Oregon's offensive line is. Uh, they are pitiful run blocking. They can't get anything going in the run game at all. Um, and I, and I, th- I have to think a lot of that has to do with Oregon's coaching staff. They got to figure that out. Um, having that been said, you know, I, it was, it was just kind of an interesting game. I think Auburn has some nice individual pieces in terms of Bo Nix. I think the thing that you take away the most from him is just his poise. He certainly, he definitely did not look particularly comfortable three quarters into that game. Uh, but you definitely saw kind of the swagger and the poise dripping off of him. He looks like a guy who is probably going to be a really good college player going forward, even though he definitely has some things he needs to iron out. And I think Oregon's defense, which is a, a, a pretty experienced unit, had a little bit to do with that. But um, having that been said, I don't really think either of these teams is is going to be a huge factor Um at the top of college football going forward. Um, I thought going into this season, I thought the Oregon love was premature, was a little out there. I thought Washington was by far the best team coming into the, this season in the Pac-12. And this week almost or only uh, made me feel stronger about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, Washington looked really good against Eastern Washington. Uh, I'll, let's, I don't want to talk a lot about Washington, but I will say that you mentioned that Jacob Eason's a good long-shot Heisman pick. He had a great first game with Chris Peterson as the head coach and in that offense. And So Washington's interesting. They're an interesting team. Uh, you have it in the notes here, the SEC. And I, I, I'm trying to think of a, a game to play here because, again, I – some of these teams, you know, I have some some thoughts, but but not. But my first thought is, you know, hey, what else is new? The SEC East looks terrible outside of Georgia, and then you got the West that looks pretty darn good outside of maybe a, a, a team, a couple teams here, like the Mississippi schools. I don't know if they're going to be any good. I think uh, the in, in our K State at Mississippi State, I think, is all of a sudden interesting. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was just going to be a, a just a total whitewash for Mississippi State. But um, they, I mean, they struggled with Louisiana Lafayette, and you got K State who did not struggle with their, you know, with their overmatched opponent. So uh, that one's that one's kind of interesting. All of a sudden, but yeah, I mean, it was a, a weird week. I mean, you saw it going around social media a lot over the past couple of days that the SEC is top heavy, which is one hundred percent true. I mean, Alabama obviously is very good. Duke had no shot. 
I mean, they could not move the ball at all in that game. Duke's defense was was pretty good in the first part until they kind of started getting worn down by Alabama's talent. I didn't watch a whole lot of the A&M game, but I saw the Aggies cruised on uh, whatever Thursday night against Texas State. Obviously, we talked about Auburn. Uh, didn't watch a whole lot of this. I, I was going to because I had Georgia Southern plus the points, which was a terrible pick. LSU, is LSU have an offense now? I mean, I know you hate Joe Burrow, but he put up some monster numbers. And, like, is LSU awesome? I, I don't – that was one of the more surprising results of the weekend that they just beat the crap out of Georgia Southern. It wasn't even – wasn't even like 55-3. to three. I mean, yeah. just dominant. A Georgia Southern team that won 11 games last year, which is yeah. why, yeah, I was on them plus 27.5 as well. Um, we're going to find out about LSU next week. Exactly. So I don't, I mean, that game I don't think there needs to be a ton of hot takes yet. Um, although, you know, I, I'm, I'm not quite ready to relent on my, my relentless Joe Burrow is awful takes, um, because he's he, not awful. He was awful last year. He Very was awful. Hyper, he was not so, awful last year. It's so hyperbolic. He was fine. He's just not, I, you know, and until he's going to have to do it against someone else other than Georgia Southern. Although I will concede, um, him throwing for what 280 and five touchdowns is nothing is is not at all what I thought he was capable of last year so I will give him credit and I am I'm more than willing to eat crow if Joe Burrow ends up being a really good college quarterback the Heisman Trophy winner but he Um, will I I, but I I have I'm very skeptical that that will be the case I have more thoughts on the on the east because you know we already talked about Florida Miami you know Florida's Florida like they're a top 10 team by like in name only because they're they're just not going to go that far with with uh Felipe Franks but I mean man like I was on South Carolina like Jake Bentley's not very good he just isn't there's a reason why he's still in college because he's not good enough to play in the NFL uh Tennessee loses to Georgia State didn't see any of that game but Tennessee I mean man what a disaster that program is I mean everybody Mike Leach (laughs) yeah I mean everybody and their mom was on uh Missouri minus like 17 or 18 just to kill Wyoming for some reason I don't know why and Missouri doesn't even not only did it not cover Missouri loses to Wyoming Uh, and not to mention yeah Kentucky who ended up actually covering so thanks for Kentucky but man their offense is so bad Uh, Terry Wilson is such a bad throw over the football I can't it's crazy they won so many games last year Kentucky Uh, so Kentucky's not very good that that part of the conference is so bad uh, it's just it's so bad. I mean, they it's kind of boring or generic, but gosh, wouldn't it be best if they just kind of shifted some teams out of the West and moved them in? They're not going to ever do that. Uh, but man, I, I do kind of feel bad for it sounds so lame, but like Auburn fans, like LSU fans, sometimes maybe even A&M fans, some of the like because they got to be in the same place as Bama in the same place as LSU and I mean they just beat up on each other those are really good teams and then the east Georgia's has a cakewalk man yeah Goodness. I think yeah and I don't know what the logistics are behind this but I think they should maybe think about uh realignment re- re- or something. Re- yeah Jeez. realigning those divisions a little bit it's not it's not unprecedented the big the big 10 actually did this just a couple years after they oh, expanded yeah. to everyone right. they they totally realigned the conferences and you know it hasn't necessarily worked out very well for them, but yeah, there needs to be a little more parody because it's looking like Georgia is is, is going to walk to the East title again. And I, and I think I, I got to think other than Tennessee, of course, just a massive choke job from South Carolina. You got to think Muschamp is after that game, especially uh, his his seat might be getting a little warm. 
North Carolina was 2-10 and ten last year, and they replaced their entire coaching staff, and they started a true freshman at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina was one of the more experienced teams, not in the SEC, but in the country, coming back. That's a really terrible look for South Carolina. Oh, yeah. I mean, a neutral site game, it's actually closer. Uh, Charlotte's actually closer to Columbia than uh, Chapel Hill, so you should have had a lot more South Carolina fans there, even though I think they're, the crowd, it sounded like there's a lot more Carolina, uh, North Carolina fans there, up 20-9 to nine in the fourth quarter, and they blow the lead, give up the final 15 points to North Carolina. And the thing with Muschamp is the defense is supposed to be good. The defense didn't look all that great. And the that offense was, is... The defense was quite terrible, really. I mean, uh, I'm looking here. I mean, UNCU, they, they were... They were getting chunk plays on the ground. I mean, yeah. like they were, they were kind of dominating South Carolina up front, even even when they were losing too. Like South Carolina was kind of fortunate to be up twenty to nine, and uh, like don't that game was not a fluke. North Carolina probably should have beat them by double digits. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, South Carolina was still winning by double digits going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I guess North Carolina was moving the ball pretty well the entire game. They were just settling for field goals in the first few quarters of the game. Um, but then the field goals turned into touchdowns. And, like I, I watched a, a fairly large margin of that game, and I came away thinking, North Carolina's better. There's a better team. So I, I thought that too. So good for Mac Brown. I, I know some of our listeners don't care about really long podcasts, but I think some probably do. When they look at the podcast player, and they're going to see this one's two out. We gotta, we gotta wrap this. I mean, what's one more topic you really want to talk about before we, we say bye? Because oh, we got two. We we don't have a ton. Like okay, one we can one good topic, and then the other is just a is just a fun anecdote. Okay, I have nothing on this uh, Hugh Freeze thing. I have no idea what this is. So you don't, we'll oh, so to- you missed all of it. Well, Hugh Freeze coached on Saturday night from a hospital bed set up in the press box at Liberty University. <laughs> and all of you you didn't see like any of the pictures or the videos from no. it at all with him no. with him after the game they showed um they showed Dino uh, Dino Babers running to the middle of the field, you know, like where you would usually shake the co- the other coach's hand. And so they saw Dino Babers, it was it was a a shot of him running to the center of the field and you see him look up and kind of point towards the press box and then it's a quick cut to the to Hugh Freeze <laughs> laying in his hospital bed in the press pot <laughs> in the press box putting up a finger to say, "Yep, hey, what's up? Good game." Oh my god. <laughs> it was the it was funny. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> That's pretty um, funny. And just yeah, social media was having a good time with it. I don't have anything to say other than it was just hilarious. And what a wonderful, crazy, great sport college football is. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> okay, now I just I went on Twitter and now I'm seeing pictures. That's wow. Like oh the, okay, like it was, so the, like, I, I did Hugh see Freeze this picture, even, but I was wondering what it was. Hugh Freeze like talked to his team via like FaceTime from the hospital bed in the pregame, <laughs> like onto like Chromecasted onto a freaking TV in a, in their <laughs> locker room. It was okay. hilarious. The okay, whole thing I'm was not, just great. Now I'm seeing, I'm seeing pictures on Twitter. And it's it's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 really one of the best things that's ever happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, t- hopefully he's okay. Uh, all right. No, he's fine. Yeah, he's just he's recovering <laughs> from like back surgery. That's all. He's fine. Uh, okay. Now I see the picture of Dino Babers pointing and him just like Hugh Freeze waving. <laughs> okay, that is that is ridiculous. It was one of the best things that has ever happened in this sport, and I don't. I mean, it was great. That is pretty ridiculous. Okay. Uh, all right. So, what's the last one? 
Boise State and Florida State, which I thought outside of Auburn, Oregon, was the most interesting game of this past Saturday. And uh, I don't have a ton to say other than Florida State came out uh, guns a-blazing. Their offense looked great in the first half. And then, man, once the third quarter rolled around, they just laid over and died. <laughs> like, I, I can't uh, – they just were not they, – they looked really well coached, really well prepared in the first half, and then just flipped that on its head in the second half. Boise just really kicked their rear end in the second half. Like, it was, it was weird and crazy how much that game just flipped. Yeah, I, uh, I know in our podcast last week when we were making our predictions, we each went with Boise – so at least on the podcast, we were both right. But in uh, the game we play, I did more research after that. And then I actually flipped to Florida State. And I felt really good about that until I didn't. And then it's just, I, I don't know what you want to say. I mean, they're, they're still incredibly undisciplined. They couldn't keep it up. The offense, again, looked great with Kendall Browse running the show. But then clearly Boise adjusted. And, and uh, Blackman, the quarterback, he is not good. He is not a good player. And I remember that story that we talked about in the summertime from Bleacher Report and how like he – I can't remember what the quotes were, but he, I guess they had to teach him how to play quarterback or something like that, Jimbo Fisher did, and he never really played a whole lot of quarterback. Like It's just – yeah, it shows, man. Like That guy needs a little more help. I, I, he's just not particularly accurate when he throws it, and I don't know. I kind of feel bad for him because he's been there. He's trying really hard, but and, and Browse is a good offensive coach, but – he just looks over his head a lot of the times, and that, it really showed late in the game where they needed some plays, and he just he couldn't make anything. And boy, sure. Florida State's defense got gashed. Yeah, I was gonna say. Then on the flip side, you got you know Florida or Florida State last season defense defense wasn't necessarily the massive problem for them last year. They still had a pretty respectable defense. They returned yeah. they returned quite a bit of guys as well on their defense, and. I, I just you gotta be concerned for that program when you got a true freshman from Boise coming in, throwing for nearly five hundred yards. Boise had like six had over six hundred yards of offense. Um like hey man, that, I told you Hank was gonna be a great player. He was his good. Name's Hank. He's uh his, his poise was was very noticeable. Um like he, yeah, I agree. He, he was good. He got laid out a few times too, and he just kept coming back and back and and he was I mean, he was throwing it all around the ball yard. Like, I mean it was he was hitting guys over the middle of the field. He was hitting them in stride down the field. Um, he was stepping up, eluding pressure, and then finding guys over the middle. He's good. He, he's Boise's next great guy. Unless unless Florida State is just a complete dumpster fire on defense, I suppose. Again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm looking at the, the numbers from Blackman. And actually, if you look at the box score, he actually's got pretty good numbers throwing the ball. 23 of 33, 327, three touchdowns, no picks. You're like, wow, that's actually pretty good. And I'm not that big of a fan of this stat so I shouldn't put a whole lot of stock into this but the QBR is on here and even with numbers that good his QBR is 32 I think they only so that had just kind of shows you that he didn't do a whole lot to really help his team win according to that metric again though I you know to be fair I'm not a big QBR guy so that shouldn't matter I'm sure his actual pass finish was pretty good pretty sure Florida State had 47 yards of offense in the second half so that probably yeah. has a has a large deal to do with it yeah, so keep an eye on that team the rest of the the season because it's just we've ripped on Willie Taggart a lot and he seems like a nice enough guy, but man, that what a what a collapse in week one. Him and, and not Clay to mention Helton. that game got moved to their home field, so they, I mean they had a benefit of playing a home game and it just they blew it. 
Yeah, him and Clay Helton have 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 each uh, received their their fair share of of uh, of hate and criticism on this podcast and. And week not one, doing a whole lot to help both, themselves yeah, out. Both not doing a whole lot to help themselves. So we will see going forward. All right, that's it for today. Uh, we left a lot of stuff on the table nationally, but that's just because, uh, well, we have a whole college football season to discuss it. Happy Labor Day, everybody. We'll be back later this week to, I guess, talk about South Dakota. We'll see how that goes. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>